This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. And my name is Kara. And we're your hosts every week, guys. We talk about an episode of SVU. We recap, we get, dive into the true crime it was based on, and we talk to a celeb guest. And first, we do a little chit chat. And just up top, I just want to remind you guys in June, we're back out on the road. We're doing San Francisco on June 8th. We're doing Tempe, Arizona on June 15th, Denver on June 25th, and LA on June 29th. So come out and see us. Yeah, please don't humiliate us in our town where we live because that that would not be positive. Come on down. Yes. (laughs) Also, I'll be doing stand-up in Phoenix June 16th. Those are the dates, right? You said the 15th we're doing uh, Uh stand-up. Yeah, so 16th and 17th. And then June 26th in Denver, I'm doing stand-up. So more shows. And for tickets to our live shows, it's that'smessedoplive.com. You can just head there and it has links to all the different venues and stuff. And yeah, LA is one of our biggest markets and we got to get you guys out to our live show. Come on, let's go. Come see us. Um, We went to DragCon. That was fun. Yes, so fun. I posted some photos. The only reason I didn't post the Teletubby photo is because it's too wide. It wouldn't like match with the rest of the photos. You know how Instagram does that? So I'm posting it tomorrow as a throwback. (laughs) I'm excited. I love that Teletubby picture. I just, well, it was so weird. So I saw a comic that night and I was like, oh my God, we went to DragCon. It was so fun. And I was like telling everything I saw. And then I was like, oh, and the Teletubbies were there. And he goes, I didn't realize you were into kink. And I go, there was nothing kinky about it. And he's like, well, you know, the Teletubbies drat. And I was like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. Does he it's think like, you're like a furry because the Teletubbies were there? I don't know. But I'm like, is the right wing propaganda working? <laughs> like, did he think I was just like, no, the Tinky Winky's gay. And there's a kid's area. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who is getting radicalized. My children by DragCon because now they're watching Teletubbies every night and I'd never seen it before. Oscar is obsessed. He asks for it by name and he just He was like, mesmerized. We saw him oh, fall in love. Yeah, he, he like was just couldn't like, stop looking at that. He kept saying it. <laughs> he kept going, want to see Teletubbies. And then we went back to go see if they were like still there after we left because we were first. We got to get one of the first pictures with them because they saw I had these two wild children who were trying to escape at every moment. And they let us take the photo and then we walked away and went to go do other shit and he kept asking to go back. But the Teletubbies show was weird as hell. I never really watched it. I mean, it kind of came of age when I was like a young person without kids and I guess it's I was four babies. It's four babies. Yeah, but it's like there's a creepy baby face in the sun that just looks down and smiles. There's a whole thing where the Teletubbies have a screen on their tummy or whatever, and that you watch a video 
And then the Teletubbies go again, again. And then you just watch the same video over. That's literally in every show. You watch the same video two times through. You're it's telling, so crazy. You're, I mean, I think you're communicating to everyone listening today. I am familiar with the Teletubbies Oh, you know that it's a two-time... Yes, watch I, 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 I watched the Teletubbies. Oh, I think I, I was too old for it, but I liked how cute... The, I like their cuteness. I don't think it was a good show, but I watched Arthur on PBS, and I feel like maybe... Yeah. I crossed paths or something in that way. Sure. Because I was yeah. a big Arthur head. <laughs> I just like can't believe that they thought that parents wouldn't go crazy having to watch the same fucking four minute video twice in a row. Like it was, it's, it's not it's for you. Nuts. I know it's not for me, but I'm sitting there and I have to watch it. So no, I have No, but comments. you know who works? <laughs> you know who's worse? Blippy. I finally saw Blippy. I and it is bad. That. I don't watch that, but kids love it. Yeah, I sat down with our friend's kid and I was like, I don't want to watch this. And he goes, well, we're watching Blippi. And I was like, well, then I'm leaving. <laughs> what? Like, what does Blippi do? There's a, It's just like real life. Like, I, I don't know. I was, because I feel like most kid programming, I could sit and be like, all right. But yeah. I was like, just, I was like, I'm out of here. Like, I couldn't even sit for a minute and watch Blippi. And the parents were like, I know it's our last resort. We hate Blippi too. Wow. My friend Marty shows her kids Blippi. That's the only time I've ever seen like a second of it, but I, I didn't really pay attention. I fully turned my brother and sister and my brother-in-law onto Bluey when we were there visiting with Rosie and they're like, Bluey's so good. People do love Bluey. Do you want to update people on that engagement van story? You, you had an update. Yes. This sounds bad, but are we positive that that story is real? Because it's just on Reddit. And it sounds really weird that this girl is like, I don't know. The, the, the update is that the girl is engaged to the guy now. If you're, if you're confused what we're talking about, we're talking about how uh, like last week or the week before we talked about a girl whose fiance wanted to propose to her and had his friends kidnap her or his friends took it upon themselves to kidnap her and scared the shit out of her. Like literally she pissed her pants. And we just thought that was really fucked up. So then I was driving somewhere and was just like, oh, I'm going to look up and see the, where that Reddit thread went. And she had, she posted an update that was like, I'm engaged after a couple of weeks. Like he took me for like a proper engagement. And I really realized that like he is really loves me and like cares for me and wants to protect me and blah, blah, blah. So she felt good with the boyfriend. She goes, I'm thinking I'm not going to press charges. And then all these people wrote comments and were like, press charges, bitch. And she was like, okay, update. I think I might press charges now after reading all your comments. The only thing that made my kind of spidey sense tingle was that this person created an account to tell this story. And they were like, there's too many identifying parts about me on my old account. Okay, that makes sense. It just feels like, yeah, because I, I don't know. saw it on BuzzFeed, and while you've been talking, I've been in the search category of BuzzFeed looking up kidnapping, engagement, van. Nothing is showing up. Yeah, so maybe they took it down, and it wasn't real. I mean, I understand why BuzzFeed posted it because it's just like a buzzy story about well, from something no. on Reddit, BuzzFeed, but it's not journalism. <laughs> BuzzFeed is always posting Reddit stuff. And then yeah. the comments are always like, this is just Reddit. What's And I'm like, BuzzFeed <laughs> isn't real. It's for money. Like, <laughs> do you guys come here for real stuff? I mean, I think they have great long form shit and fun stuff. But like, 
Its well, goal isn't to educate. <laughs> and well, is there a difference between BuzzFeed and BuzzFeed News? Because I feel like, well, I mean, it's all shutting down now anyway, I feel like. But BuzzFeed News has like legit reporting. I just think this goes under like fun Reddit. viral stuff, you know? Like, yeah. And most, like most of Reddit, am I the assholes? I just, I wish it's not real. Like anything I read, I'm like, yeah. this would be great if it wasn't real. But what's crazy is when I was Googling it, to find the original BuzzFeed, I, I saw another article about a guy who did that to his girlfriend in Lebanon. They were in Lebanon and he got her kidnapped to ask her to marry him. And, and then a man did it in Australia too. There's many, it sounds like there's many Australia, I mean, many uh, kidnapping engagements and those need to stop. <laughs> It's just, it's one of the, this is like a smaller example. I don't know if I've talked about it, but there's been multiple, and I can only think of two at the moment, where men like exposed female comedians, like did something where then the female comedians got harassed online, death threats, they needed full security, they had to move, they got doxxed, lost jobs, like crazy shit happens. And then afterwards, the men's excuse is always, well, I didn't, I didn't know that would happen. And it's like, do women not constantly tell you the internet is a hellscape? (laughs) And same with kidnapping. It's like, all you ever hear is women be like, I'm scared to get kidnapped. I'm scared to get assault. I'm scared. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know it would be that big of a deal. I I thought it would be funny. And it's like, they just don't listen at all. Like, it's so crazy to think a kidnapping is an LOL. And I'm sorry I keep going to the movie Jawbreaker, but it did teach us a great lesson about kidnapping. Don't do yeah. it, even for fun. It <laughs> yeah. could go wrong. Like, you know, we go back to Jawbreaker for so many things. We have to go back to the texts that raised us. Speaking of the texts. So I got a message from someone that does listen to our pod. And if we remember the story when I performed in Detroit, there was a <laughs> met a woman who was like, people keep saying I look like some character named Misty from Yellow Jackets. <laughs> and then I cackled because I was like, you do, girl. So <laughs> she messaged me and she's a social worker and she's like a good person. And we can in touch on Instagram. And she just said that I am dead on about the criminal justice and social work division of people. Um, she says, you know, when she was at juvenile court and she said like the approaches of criminal justice and social worker, like probation officers were so different and the outcomes were so stark and the criminal justice uh, probation officers, kids were miserable and always had to go back to court and not the social work ones. Huh. And, um, and I said, yeah, I believe that because I feel like Social workers are like more sociology. It's like, oh, I wonder why you're so damaged and doing crimes. And I feel like criminal justice people are like, you're bad. You're 15, you stole a car, you're bad. And I go, yeah. I, I think that's it. And she goes, exactly. I agree with that. So just the thing that I Oh my gosh. I can't right believe on. we're already at the flag, Casey. This is crazy. We're at the flag. I do have a couple other things, but yeah. I just, I had to tell everyone I was right. Um, (laughs) and obviously there's like different, um, stuff, but she said like one time a 14 year old died by suicide and the criminal justice POs and interns were making jokes about him the whole time. And then the social workers were upset and the criminal justice people called them the feelings brigade. And of course she's a normal person. So she goes, social workers aren't perfect, but. I think yeah. they are. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's Looney Tunes everywhere. Um, I watched the show Swarm. I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. I would I recommend it to everybody. Swarm, was, it's about a Beyonce-style beehive fan, obsessive fan turned serial killer. 
And it's in the genre. I love it. Yeah, it's in the genre. Okay, so I met somebody. He's a comic. At a show, we're talking SVU, and he goes, oh, I took care of Marishka's son on set. And oh. I go, oh, my God, baby Noah or bisexual Noah? Which Noah did you work? And he goes, um, baby Noah? Okay, I go, oh, okay, great. And then he's like, yeah, and I met Maloney. I go, there's no way Noah didn't exist till season 15. You did not meet Maloney. He goes, no, I did. He was bald. He looked like this. And I go, listen, Noah was season 15. I don't know what to tell you. Maloney was not involved. Maybe he was visiting the child on set, but like, there's no fucking way. And then we figured out he took care of Marishka's real biological son. (laughs) (laughs) And and he goes, I thought I was going crazy. I go, don't worry, bro. We're good. (laughs) And that's so funny that like, talking about her real son that you'd be like, oh, is it bisexual, um, (laughs) her son or baby her son? (laughs) And his name's August. I love that. But yeah. uh, so he took care of um, baby August for a week on the set of SVU. And he said that Marishka's amazing. Like we hear Ugh. from lots of people. I love that she had a little Manny. That's so fun. Okay. The other, this isn't even that interesting. I saw this on, great intro, but <laughs> I saw this on my Instagram and James Vanderbeek showed his children his old tape of hosting SNL. Because they, they loved when Jenna Ortega did SNL. So he's like, they were so into it. I decided, like, I'll show them the coolest I've ever been. And the kids were like, you're embarrassing. You look like an idiot. This is so <laughs> stupid. You're so stupid, you dork. And they just, like, hate it. The kids Aww. hate it. It's, like, very fun. Um, James Vanderbeek, come talk about your rejection on our podcast. I we'd know. Love, we'd love to be a shoulder for you to cry on. If you have a connection to James Vanderbeek, tell him we're here for him. I know, James. But yeah, so those are the only updates I really um, have in the clubhouse over Amazing. here. Amazing. In the clubhouse. I love you're running your own Watch What Happens. Watch What Happens, Lisa. I've been um, hating Watch What Happens Live this week because it's not Bravo people. It's like celebrities. Uh, and I uh, guess it's fine. But like, I just like more Bravo action. And I think more people maybe like celebrities. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it also gives the show kind of like cred as like a real late night show when they have like Meryl Streep or Oprah come on, you know? Yeah, they had the uh, book club women on this this Uh, week. Oh, well, I did see book club. I did see book club and it was... I mean, I'm sitting next to my friend Elliot and he's like the only person I ever want to see these movies with because the whole time we just look at each other and go, What? What, like, the writing makes no sense. Like, the plot is crazy. Like, the movie's bad, but I have an amazing time going to see it. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't even know about guilty pleasure. It's just like, a lot of shit doesn't make sense. But we've got these women in their own cinematic universe. They're part of a franchise now, and they're going for it. Well, speaking of, wait, what did you just, oh, things that are enjoyable and make no sense. There's an Instagram account I found. I'm sure it's a TikTok first. But this um, dude is just like talking about episodes of Seventh Heaven and how they don't make sense and how crazy they are. And it is really fun because they are... I forgot about the storylines. Like, they just bring home a homeless girl and they fight over who can keep it. (laughs) (laughs) Or like like the things that are part... It's just like... It's great. I wish I remembered it. Whatever. Is everything I have to share from the internet? Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not leaving <laughs> the okay. house. 
I love it. <sighs> All right. Start. Well, we have a, honestly, this is an episode we have been dying to do. Oh my God. I forgot. This is the episode. This is the episode. So don't go anywhere. I would have pumped. Uh, oh, well, speaking of, I'll, I have a preface story then. If I forgot that it's this episode. We're obsessed with this episode. <laughs> we hope you have so much fun. It was really a dream come true doing it. I had a comedian bring me up this week. And then he kissed my forehead. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No. This is the second time this has occurred, and I am going to be saying something. So that I'll have an update really next week. really creepy. It's psychotic. And he's lucky I didn't tell the heads of the people, of the club. So I'm just going to talk to him and be like, that's an insane thing. I don't know why you would do that at my job. My friends <laughs> don't do that. My parents don't do that. That's not... Who, what? And if you listen to this podcast, you know Lisa doesn't even like it when men kiss Olivia on the forehead that she's had sex with. So <laughs> she certainly doesn't want random comedians doing it to her. I mean, you know famously a comedy I'm typing booker. it in the chat. I'm typing it in the chat so you can know how annoying this oh my is because I have gonna, talked I'm about this I'm probably going to throw up. Before. You are going to throw up. When you okay, know that- sent. I knew who it was this before you sent it. I knew who it was. <laughs> I knew who it was. Um... Like the second you said it, I was like, oh, this is who it is. Because that's like the what you've told me about this person, that is this person's vibe. Like they think that is something they can do. And it's like, I'm at work trying to like win over a crowd and be impressive. And you just, well, I, I made a joke right away. I go, did it look like my father just kissed me? Yeah, you just infantilized me like in front of a whole fucking audience. That's not okay. You know, famously, a comedy booker has kissed me on the hand twice yes. when meeting me. And I like, that's, I think that what happened to you is way worse. I just wonder how he's going to react because I bet he'll get defensive or maybe he'll just be like, oh yeah, show, or, oh, it was just, and I go, I don't care what it is. I don't want your saliva on my forehead, you fucking psycho. What a crazy thing to do. But also this person is someone that complains of like, I don't know, has Me Too gone too far? And it's like, clearly not if you have absolutely- You think you can kiss around at work. You know what I mean? Like if the men are actually scared of Me Too and oh no, the new climate, why are you kissing me on my forehead in front of <laughs> hundreds of people? I'm sorry to laugh. It is so crazy and You're awful. clearly not worried and yes. none of this has worked. Yeah. But has Me Too gone too far? I mean, give me a break. I'm Wait. just like so on edge. I want to DM, but I'm going to do it in person so there's no confusion of tone. But it's yes. going to be like, do not hug me. Do not kiss me. Shake my hand. That is insane of you. I go to shake most hand, most comics' hands, but if they are a good friend, I'll hug when yeah. they're coming on stage. I get their good pal. But we know if we're um, good friends or not. Yeah, yeah. You can feel the hug. Oh my God, so crazy. I can't believe that happened. Anyway, perfect segue into today's episode about the comedy world a little bit. Guys, don't go anywhere. We have been waiting for this episode, which seems like our whole lives. Yes. I, I would say. It's called Comic Perversion. <laughs> Season 15, episode 15. It came out February 2014. And we're thrilled. We're thrilled. So we open up on a labelless water bottle on a stool and a man doing stand-up comedy with a big stage light on his face. And it's Jonathan Silverman and from Weekend at Bernie's. And he's performing at TSU. Now, Kara, do you want to reveal your connection to this episode or do you want to save it for later? Wait, 
What is my connection to this episode? Stick or treat. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, let me, let's go on a little further. Let's go you on a little wait? further. Yes. Oh, so we're teasing? Okay, stay tuned, yeah. bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowd all starts chanting for TSU, TSU. <laughs> and it's just really weird just because we know the ins and outs of like the business of comedy. It's funny that it's a college event, but they are at a comedy club um, called The Comic Strip. For in Where York. I am past, I do still get the avails emails for the comic strip. Oh, it's not <laughs> defunct. It's still around. Yeah. Oh my oh, god, the incredible. comic strip is still banging. I mean, I before I had kids and I would go back to New York from LA, I would do like a spot or two there. I used to do spots there with like Colin Jost and like random people. Like, yeah, one of the one of the New York clubs I was passed at, baby. <laughs> I only did one show there one time. I don't know much about it, but there is a brick wall on the stage. So it is legit. Yes. You know what I yeah. mean? They but since you... changed the orientation of it. I think now like it's like totally changed, but yes. But college events are usually on college campuses, not at comedy clubs, but right. you know, it doesn't matter. This is so fun. Now um, to the side of the stage, there's a framed sign that says hot fries. <laughs> And um, on the other side of the stage is a dry erase board. And it just says Tompkins Square University. So a new college. Because I don't think we've met any other people from Tompkins Square University. And Tompkins Square is about 70 blocks from where this club is located. But, (laughs) you know, you know, you only know that, I guess, if you know New York. Um, And then there's just like a piece of paper that looks like word art. Um, poster stuck to the dry erase board and it says Josh Galloway. And I just love that they're shining a light on the indignities of stand-up comedy. You know, (laughs) he did sell out. I'm sure he's making tens of thousands of dollars for this gig, but yet they are selling French fries and it just is a computer paper with his name on it. (laughs) (laughs) Like like stand-up comedy really, um, really humbles you day in and day out. And it's pretty fantastical. Yes. I would also like to take this opportunity to share that when I was a comic in New York, and I think maybe still, there is a show called Sticker Treat. Okay, so this comics, is the this is our this is this our is what this I'm is saying, the reveal. Now we've said his name. Now his name is we know his name is Josh Galloway. Okay, perfect. So Sticker Treat it was a show a, a show where comics around Halloween would dress up as other comics and do like a two minute set as them. And you could go on as Gallagher, Ellen. I was Ellen DeGeneres one year. Like I was Whitney Cummings one year. You could even go like on as Lisa Traeger, someone that you know, like and do like roast them a little bit, whatever. And I went on one year as fictional rape comic Josh Galloway from SVU. (laughs) And I'll tell you, the ones who got it, got it. And the ones who didn't were very confused. But I like did, I think I was kind of poking fun at at the time, there was all this controversy about rape jokes and stuff like that. And so I was like poking fun at all of that. And I don't remember my set very well because it was 2014 or when did this episode come out? Yeah, February. So so eight months later, I'm playing him after this episode comes out, hoping people get the reference. And you drew and, a um, beard. So was it like eight people laughing and then a confused sea of like, what's going on? Or I, a what, lot how of did people it laughed. A lot of people laughed. Like a lot of people were like, even like, I was like, you guys probably saw me on that episode of SVU where a comedian gets... So even if they didn't see the episode, they knew what I was doing. And so it was... Gosh, I wish I could like look in my email and see if I like wrote out my set and emailed it to myself or something because it would be wild to see. You're the queen of receipts. I'm sure it's somewhere. Yes, I'm sure it's somewhere. I wish I was there to see you perform as Josh Galloway, (laughs) the rape comic. But whatever. So TSU, 
We're back. It's a party school, we could tell. People are taping him with their cell phones, which is such a no-no as well. Like, you'd get fucking kicked out. Uh, that's like an off-with-your-head type of moment. If you're fucking taping someone's set, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But he calls TSU trashed slut university or totally swallow you, and the boys cheer. And then he starts making fun of the rape trolley. It's like, just let the trolley take the women home. Like, <laughs> you have an issue with the rape trolley? It's like, it is just so funny to me. Um, but he doesn't like that the rape trolley is only for women. What about the men? And he goes, a man rape trolley, actually, he, well, he, the joke is date rape for men is actually called getting lucky. And for joke structure, it's there. This, he's really killing it, you know? He then tests a really, really tough premise about the upsides of rape. And then a gaggle of gals in the front row wearing matching T-shirts stand up and they yell, rape is no joke. And one of the girls is Skylar Day. I remember her from Parenthood, but she was also in a different SVU playing the same character, Renee Clark, in the episode Girl Dishonored in season 14. You know, another college rape situation. Okay. Bam, bam. So there's booing. Everyone's booing. And it's like, are we booing the anti-rape group? Or are we booing Josh? It's the group. So she goes, rape is not funny. And then another girl <laughs> gets up and she's a little sauced. And she yells, you're not funny. Go home. I'm in love with all of this, the commotion that's happening. And Josh Galloway's like, hey, guys, let's not heckle and boo our feminist sisters. If anyone knows about comedy, it's a feminist. And, you know, that's, again, another great structured little bit. She starts quoting rape stats, and he brings her on stage, and we get her name, and she's part of a group called STAR, Students Together Against Rape. Anyway, so he then says, Renee is right. Rape is not funny. Gang rape, on the other hand, is freaking hysterical. Again, another great bit. Like, because we get to see him do comedy throughout, and it does decrease in terms of structure, but structurally, he's really knocking these out, I would say. Kara's Structurally, with me. he's good. I don't know if we think that jokes about gang rape are funny in this situation. And I, you think the jokes are funny? No, but themselves? they're structurally sound. Yes, And agreed. I, in this context with her on stage and everything that's happening and everything we know is gonna happen, it's fucked up. But I'm trying to think if someone did this on stage. Like, I can see it working. I can. Yeah. If a comic went up and goes, listen, I don't joke about rape. That's not funny. But you know what is funny? Gang rape. I can <laughs> see I can see that hitting. Whether we personally would laugh or not at it. But when people are like, rape jokes are just not funny, I have, I have two. And people laugh. But they're just on a different perspective where right. I make, I don't, I don't feel the, the victim is, is the, the punchline. Punch the rapists yeah. are the punchline to me. Yes. And I have a gang bang joke with different than but gang a rape, of course. gang bang. Yeah. Yes. Or not. Yeah. I, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer on Pornhub, so we don't know how consensual it was. <laughs> but, yeah. But I am a believer that anything can be funny if you're funny. Yeah. And that's why I, I think, think you comics, can make anything funny. Yes. And I think that's why the comics that complain about quote unquote PC culture being woke, people being serious, whatever, they're just not funny enough and can't really admit it to themselves. Mm -hmm. Even when something doesn't go right, you can blame a crowd, but at the end of the day, it's you, it's your jokes, and you can make anyone laugh at anything. Yeah. 
Veep I mean, is there's the like, best yeah, example. There's people that do like one man shows about losing their children. I mean, there's like, there's people can find humor in anything. You know, you just have to do it the right way. Yeah, um, not lazily. Because I don't love domestic violence jokes. That's something that I usually am like, I just don't laugh or like, and I, I'm not into it. Yeah. But Nicole Amy Schreiber has a fantastic domestic violence joke. And I laugh every time I hear it. So it's like, you know... But it's probably not making the victims the butt, her joke. No, (laughs) a little bit, but in a great way. But my thing I also always say with comics is like, I think as an audience member uh, and probably in different marginalized groups can feel this way, I bet feel this way where like, you can also tell people's intent. Like there are a lot of comics, their intent is to piss people off. Yeah. And then when people are pissed off, they get to be a victim of like, oh, they're pissed. But or to be like, yeah, look what I get to say. I can say anything I want. Like, it's, is there a point? Or do you have a different kind of perspective on it? Like, not really. No. Actually, Jesse Klein has a, a, a hilarious domestic violence joke as well that I just thought of. Exactly. And if the goal is to make people laugh, I think you can make everything funny and even the marginalized groups that are, can be at the butt of the joke laugh. Like, if the goal is like pure joy and laughter, I I think audiences get it. The guys that I think about that really bother me is they purposely write material with the intent of controversy and to piss people off because they know deep down they're not funny enough or they don't believe in themselves enough. But when they complain about crowds, I'm like, but your intent isn't for people to enjoy themselves. Your intent is to get people mad. Because you think you're like a philosopher king. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot to it. I mean, this guy is a sicko. So like, I'm not defending Josh Galloway. Yes, we're not defending Josh Galloway. We're just dressing up as him. But we're obviously <laughs> going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would just be shocking not to talk about it. But I think you can make anything funny. I don't think anything also, is off like, limits. I, I, like to lo- I like to laugh at dark stuff sometimes yeah. too. Like, it doesn't mean I condone it. I just can laugh at like a dark joke, you know? Um. Anyway... So, whatever. He talks about the rules of three in terms of the gang rape. He keeps pushing it. She calls him sick. He says he's funny. Um, Everyone claps for Renee. She walks away with her group. She is walking home. Uh Uh-oh. There are men from the show. They seem plastered as hell, and they're waiting for her in their little beanie caps. And they're like, oh, hey, Renee, you were great up there. And they start tossing her around. It's a really vicious scene. Like, I hate watching this. It makes me really scared and uncomfortable. Um, She tries to get away, and they have a grip, and she starts trying to blow her rape whistle and they do you think they're trying to make a point at rape whistles are stupid because they take the whistle away very quickly from her is the point and she's not able to whistle she's crying they're trying to get away she's asking them to stop she finally kicks one of them in the dick he falls over she grabs her keys whistles again and then We hope she gets away. We don't really know what happens. Then we go back to the rape comics closer. He goes, good night, kids. (laughs) Okay, so that's that. (laughs) And then he's signing autographs and he's looking right directly at the camera while he's high-fiving people. It's really sick, honestly. But what we see is he's making eye contact with the drunk girl who heckled the feminist rape club. And so she's drunk. She's horny for him. They're looking at each other. Um, they're mutually checking each other out. And then it cuts to our beloved credits. So <laughs> so now we're in the squad room. It's, um, you know, the wooden comforting room. And Renee Clark is explaining, they grabbed me. She managed to get her whistle back. And that's what made them panic and run. And she's crying. She's really um, 
fucked over from what happened. Benson's like, good, you did what you had to do to get out of the situation. And Rollins asks if she knows um, the boys that did it. And she's like, yes, they live in my dorm. Um, They must have followed her from the comedy show. And she mentions that Josh Galloway and Rollins is like, oh, one of those rape joke comics. And I wonder what, like, no one's known as a rape joke comic, right? Well, we'll get into it when I do the real thing. Okay. A little bit. And then she said that her friends and her were coming to send a message, but Josh brought her on stage and said it was funny if she was gang raped. And that's why those boys assaulted her because Josh gave them permission. And Benson's like, well, we'll see what kind of charges we can bring against these boys. And then they um, go on to ask the girl, like, are you ready to go through this again? And she goes, I am. That's why I came straight to you. I didn't even call campus security. And she goes, you have to go after Josh Galloway. So we cut to one of the boys in interrogation with Amaro. And he's like, Josh did not egg us on or motivate us to do this. We were just messing around. It was a joke. She's gotten, she's got to lighten up. It's the sickens me. Yeah. Like making it seem like there is a joke to fully scaring someone into thinking they're about to get attacked. Like, the trauma is real. The, your body and how it reacts will not know it's a joke. And well, we will have just talked about this on an intro. So we've yeah. covered this. <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, pretending to rape someone's not a bit. Okay, guys? Yeah. Jesus. I don't think our audience needs that announcement, but... <laughs> It's so fucked. It cuts to the other boy in a sweater made of striped hemp. And he's like, <laughs> she needs to learn how to take a joke. And it's like, what the fuck? I, I don't get the funny. I really don't get the funny. So the guy was like, whatever. She needs to learn how to take a joke. And then the guy's like, and I like Renee. <laughs> and Finn is like, you got a funny way of showing it. And they say they felt bad she was heckled on stage and they were just trying to have some fun with her number one fear. So Barbara's spying in the window. Like, I have a friend who's, her number one fear is frogs. I wouldn't even throw a fake frog at her. Yeah. Uh, that's just like, why am I, if you're scared of, I, I, don't, I don't know why I have to push the limits of someone's fears. Well, one time when I was in college, my friend was really afraid of pregnant women. She was really grossed out by pregnant women. She's since had three children. But at the time, we were in our, like, you know, we were 19 or something. And I did put a picture of a pregnant woman on her pillow that I found in a magazine. <laughs> and what happened? She was like, who did this? I mean, she didn't get like scared. It wasn't like it was a real pregnant person, but you know. Um, so if I'm with her, who is this? Have I met her? <laughs> no, you haven't. Now she has three kids. Yeah, like that stopped your friends before. They're fucking <laughs> zip, zap, zop into our gigs. Okay, so <laughs> hello to all of Kara's camp, childhood, high school, college, study abroad <laughs> friends. Um, thrilled you're here. <laughs> um, Barba is spying in the window and he's like, oh, these college idiots. Benson quickly responds, they did assault Renee and they knew she was a survivor and an activist and they targeted her. And Barba's like, okay, I'll try to get a temporary restraining order, but she needs to change dorms. And Benson does not like this. So they're walking and talking and 
and, um, you know, Benson and Rollins are on either side of him, just one step back. It's like a dance number. And Benson asks about the comic and, you know, he's a big deal. He's one of those snarky cable TV hosts. Um, and he was on a list of People's Magazine's most eligible comedians. LOL. Uh, L-O-L. <laughs> like that's ever been a fucking article in People Magazine. There's like two eligible comedians. <laughs> No, that are men. That are men. There are a million women. Yeah, if it was all, and the men are like, I, you know, they're not doing well in terms of emotional. They're not good partners. Like (laughs) I can't imagine the people list. It's like this guy showers twice a week, ladies. Like, (laughs) yeah, I would say who would? I mean, Trevor Noah is the one that like, if People Magazine did do an eligible bachelor comedian, he doesn't have a partner. I don't know. I think he's out there fucking. I mean, he was seen with Dua Lipa. Like, who knows? But he's someone that is just subjectively like an attractive person on television who people like. But after Trevor Noah, I can't think of a second person. Michael Che? I'm thinking Che. People like Che. Yeah, Che. Oh, you know who is hot and who is an eligible bachelor? Brett Goldstein. Yes, there we go. Brett Goldstein. Yeah, hot as hell. Nice guy. Yes. On a hit TV show. A good stand-up. Very funny. He did have a girlfriend for a long time, but I believe he's single now. Yeah. Yeah, so they are out there. But I'm just saying most of them. So those two would definitely be in People Magazine's feature on the most eligible comedians. And then the other ones I'm thinking about that are cute are cheating on their spouses. Like, I don't (laughs) know. I don't know if they're good people. Yeah. But um, no, they, of course, there are great ones. And hopefully throughout this episode, we'll think of other ones. So Rollins brings up this eligible comedians. We came up with three, so that's pretty exciting. I mean, Chris Rock, I think, is an eligible bachelor. Yeah, I mean, last I heard he was dating Lake Bell. Yeah, I heard, yeah, that's exciting. So Barbara's confused. And so Barbara's like, wait, so Josh Galloway also assaulted Renee? And Benson goes, no, but he made jokes about how funny it was if he was gang raped and he incited this instant incident and Barbara treats them like idiots. He's like, you've heard of free speech, right? And I'm on Barbara's side here where it's like, what? You can't charge a guy for bad joke telling. And yeah. Benson's like, well, what about hate speech? And they heard his set and they advocated a gang rape and they followed Renee out and it makes him an accessory. And she says, if I tell a guy with a gun, I want my husband dead and cocks her head to the side, like, Good point, right? And and if you're wondering, um, Benson at this point has short, chin-length, bouncy Bob Benson era, a very season five SJP Sex in the City. <laughs> and Barbara says, you're doing a false equivalency, and which I agree with, uh, with Barbara here. Um, and we need to prove his intent. Any other charges on this guy? And Rollins is like, no, but we'll start digging. Benson says- He also didn't say- go gang raper. Didn't he say what's funnier than a rape joke, a gang rape joke, right? Like he didn't say, go get this girl, right? Like, yeah. Benson goes, or we could just go straight to him and fill him in. And uh, we'll tell him that the girl he humiliated was assaulted by two of his fans. Amaro and Benson do a walk and talk headed to Josh's, you know, hotel room. And Amaro's like, ugh, I hate this guy. So Amaro wildly hates this guy. He opens the door and Josh is in a white hotel robe and he's in a chipper mood. He's like, come in, detectives. And Benson reminds him, she's a sergeant. And he condescendingly congratulates her on wearing the pants. 
Amaro doesn't like that he's in a robe. And he's like, did the front desk not tell you we were on our way up? And this is unfortunately very me. Like, I will order room service. And when they knock, I am just, I have to, I'm like, just a minute. And I'm like, (laughs) throwing clothes on. Like, I didn't order the food. Yeah. I'm it's I'm really um, bad about this. I'm not wearing pants right like now. Someone like someone sent you a surprise meal. <laughs> or even when you're coming to pick me up or I know you're coming like I will still not put on clothes until the moment <laughs> someone knocks. And it's kind of like when I FaceTime you when I have to pee and you're like you could have done it a moment after. And I'm like <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. So unfortunately, I do see myself in this rapist. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Unfortunately, but this is me. So anyways, he goes, yeah, yeah. They pulled me out of the shower. He then takes his robe off in front of the police. And Marishka's like, whoa, the dude is naked. He changes into sweatpants. His body looks good, though. You know, good for, you know, good for Jonathan Silverman. I'm sure he did some push-ups and prep and they paid off. So then um, while he's changing, he's like, you like the view? And Amaro goes, no, I'm not enjoying the view. And I get that this man is naked in front of him, but... The penthouse hotel view is gorgeous. Also, what kind of cop, what kind of comic is doing a college gig getting this hotel room in New York City? I think like, if you're famous, I think colleges, like big schools, they, I think the comics get 50 grand a a show. 100 grand a show. Like if you're on SNL, I think you make at least 25, 30 grand for a stand-up show. But then are you performing at like a huge auditorium at their school? Not at like the fucking 200 capacity comic strip. It's just like, it's wild. Although the school, you're right. It's not really about selling tickets for the school. The school just has money to do things for the kids because I was on the committee for my school that decided what things the kids could pay for. But also, I know of a comic who is just like, he makes so much money everywhere yeah. that like being on the road, like he's going to make a profit. But I heard that he has to sit at the best hotel. It doesn't matter. And if he and eat at the best restaurants and if he loses money, it doesn't matter to him because he's yeah. so wealthy. Yeah. Because I was well, just that, talking. Yes. So that makes sense for this. That, this, that sounds like this kind of guy. Yes, because I was just talking to an agent who said that the business manager of this client called him and was like, why did he spend 35 grand on the hotel this weekend? 35 grand on the hotel? Yeah. And, and wow. including like probably room service and all that. And the agent just, just living like, like I the don't money's know. never going to go away. Living like the gravy train, it goes on forever. Wow. I know, but some of these people are just making so much money. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. So he offers to uh, get, I, just stripping down in front of the cops. It's like, this guy is so bold and arrogant. I'm obsessed with him. So not really. So then... <laughs> He offers to order room service and the sliders are insane. (laughs) And he finally puts on a shirt. He starts uh, snacking. He's very casual, very manic energy. And he reminds me of the jazz guy from Sex and the City in terms of chaos. Yeah. In terms of just like me, 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 me. Benson gets down to business and brings up Renee Clark and he acts like he has no idea who this bitch is. He goes, I don't know. I do 150 shows a year. You got to be more specific, toots. And then she shows a photo and he pulled her up on stage and he like legit is like, I don't remember. I have no idea what you're saying. And he's just, you know, chewing on a sandwich lying. Do you think he really doesn't remember faces or names or he's lying to the cops? Like, I, what do you think it is? I think he doesn't remember. For real. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I don't think he has, like, any idea why they're even there. And he's like, I don't remember. Like, yeah, like, 
I think this is the kind of guy that only sees women he wants to like fuck. And I don't think he was like attracted to this girl. You know what I mean? Yeah, so he doesn't He's remember. He's like, ah, the, the, the redhead I had sex with in Missouri, I remember her. But like, he doesn't remember like regular women. You know what I mean? Wow. So they explain what happened and he's like, that's too bad, but what does this have to do with me? And they're like, did you not say it would be funny to gang rape her? And he's like, I'm not taking any of this seriously or cares at all. And it's like, even if it has nothing to do with you, you just found out someone like got assaulted. I don't know. Yeah. So he straight up is like, I'm a comedian. What are you going to do? Blame the artist? Chewing the whole time. <laughs> and Amaro's like, oh, you're an artist? And he gives up and goes, come on, I'm a performer. And Benson's like, you're a witness. Can you just help us ID the assailants? And he says, I don't see people. I just see lights in the dark. I don't know. And then Amaro has another burn and goes, wow, drunk college students, tough crowd. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> people wasted is not a great crowd. So Amaro is an idiot here. There, are, I don't, I have to stop talking. I'm just going to read my notes. So he's like, okay. I get you're not a fan. Why don't you come to my show? I'll get you VIP tickets. I'm playing TSU again. And he begs them to come to the show and see it. Benson sighs and walks away. So it's a 10 p.m. show. We're back at the comic strip and it's a wild foursome. We have Benson, Cassidy, Finn, and Rollins. <laughs> and they're front row and center, which is the craziest thing of the episode for me. Um, and this time, the, uh, there's a sign on the other side of the stage and it's for cold ice cream. And there's a cute drawing. So, Who's getting ice cream at a comedy show? So we have cold ice cream and hot fries, baby. It's like a baseball park. I don't understand these signs. I know. Because the only thing I can imagine is like um, a brownie with ice cream. Like that, that's that comedy they would club. do. But like what, a cone? What are we, what's happening? <laughs> Uh, but Cassidy's a huge fan of this guy. And then he's like, let's be open-minded. He used to be funny. And that's a Rollins, because of course she's going to defend this guy. She goes, he's a smart comedian. He just never got attention until he started all this rape shtick. And this is how I feel about uh, 2016 Trump and the election, the rise of white nationalism, like all of this. It's like, you know, no one cared about this smart, great guy until the rape shtick. And that's how I feel about so many comedians yes. where... They leaned in and their audiences are just, yeah, they hate woke. You know, like I just think so many people have created and blown up and now are make are so rich selling out to audiences of truly scum. Yeah. Yeah. The what what did Hillary Clinton call it? The um not deplorables. The, the deplorables. Yeah. They're like deplorables. Yeah. And they're funny people, but like they just didn't start making money until this divide of like right. woke and not woke. And, you know, they're doing good. But when the when the dust settles, you guys will be in the Nazi camp. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, like we got, we all know this like comic who got like basically canceled because he was like abusing multiple girls who are in the comedy community as their boyfriend. And then he just was like, okay, and went totally right wing. And now he's like well known in the white right wing circle. Like he just pivoted and was like, okay, now I'm like a right wing lunatic. Yeah. If all else he's like, fails, with the proud become boys. a racist. Yeah. Because, Yeah. <laughs> So, whatever. So, that's what happened. And everyone's Arsenio Hall. Like, what is this move? It's called the ooh, Arsenio, ooh, right? Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, like, I don't know what you call it. Like, the elbow, hand, wrist roll. I don't know. Yeah. To me, it's the Arsenio forever. Yeah, so it's they're the Arsenio. All, they're all, ooh, ooh, ooh. The genie does it in Aladdin as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, that, that might be too too specific. 
and he's cocky. He's got another bottle of water. And, you know, this is a rare moment where I'm not a fan of Benson. So he makes a joke. He goes, wow, two nights at a college. This sounds like a commitment. I don't like that. And Benson whispers to Cassidy, at least the other guy was funny. And to me, it's like, it was one opening joke. If someone in the front row had this much attitude, I would hate this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not that bad of a joke. It's not even against women. It's not a rape joke. It's just like, guys, are we in a committed relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like cheesy. Yeah. Because I do a, a bit sometimes where if like someone's not clapping in the front row, I go, why didn't you clap? You're a bitch. And then people laugh and it's just like silly and they think it's silly. And one time a woman truly in the front responded was like, well, you didn't do anything to deserve it. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. You just like clap when someone comes on stage, you dumb cunt. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then um, she said something else rude to me and her energy sucked and I did call her a cunt. And then her friend came and they started having a loud, this was like recent, and they started having a loud conversation. I was like, okay, you now you're all talking? Like, what's up? And she goes, she's just filling me in because you called her a cunt. And I'm like, yeah, and you're both proving that you're giant cunts and we all hate you. So <laughs> I, you, you could have proven to me that you're great, but you keep talking, their energy sucked and um, throughout the rest of the show. Energy not good, but the crowd yeah. really didn't like them. And then I made fun of them the whole night. And Benson is being the, these yeah. this type of person where it's like, but of course she doesn't have an open mind. She hates him. It's the rape yes. comic. Right. But them sitting in the front row is nuts. But I think he said, I'll get you VIP tickets. So I, I think he sat them there. I just I, I just remembered that. Because I back when I first watched this, I was like, why are they sitting there? This is so crazy. But I think that's, he sat them there. I just would have started in on her for sure. Like, if yeah. I came on stage and immediately after my first joke, someone went, well, at least everyone else was funny. I would be like, yeah. nice haircut. You know, like yeah. I would immediately get involved. Yeah, to me, it's like the idea of you're coming in and your energy is, why don't you prove you're funny to me? Versus, oh, I'm here for a good time. I want to laugh. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. That's the energy. I didn't clap because you didn't deserve it yet. And it's like, you just clap when people come on stage, you psycho. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> and if you want to be bad, sit in the back. So anyways, um, and... He does what you would do. He immediately tell you know goes in on Liv, and then he tells everyone she's a cop, and everyone boos. That's always the line that kills me because he goes, "Give it up for special victims, everybody!" And everybody's like, "Boo!" <laughs> like it's crazy. Well, because I get booing for cops, a cab, but then once he said special victims, yeah, it's like yeah, I was like, okay, you're helping women and children usually. Yeah. And he's like, you know, these cops think my jokes cause people to rape. And then he starts talking about, you know, he said, she said, and how that's not real rape. And I think he's too angry here. And he was funnier the first night. Um, He says consent is not for him. Consent has gone too far. He's just like mad that consent is a thing. And then he's annoyed about consent. He uses bar receipts as evidence. Like I bought her six drinks. That's my consent. And Benson heckles and goes, wow, that's funny. And then she gets booed. (laughs) And then he calls her Sarge and is like, chill out, have fun. I'll get you a drink (laughs) and I'll keep the receipt. And then he goes, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And he says he's, um, he actually fucked TSU's finest trash sluts last night. And to me, again, another aside, I'm so sorry, Casey, you're going to have to edit so much of this episode. But 
when I see college kids now, they look like such children to me. It is actually weird that 40-year-olds are fucking college students. Yeah, they look like babies. It's weird. It's creepy. I don't care if it's above the law. It is uncomfortable and you're a predator and you're a freak. I I, I really hate it. Yeah. Because you can tell, or when people are like, I don't know, she looked 18. It's like, no, she didn't. We know what children, like, they look so uh, young. Even the 18-year-olds don't look 18. Yeah. I've walked into bars where people are 21, I'm assuming, and been like, oh, I'm too old to be here. (laughs) I don't want to be around these children. So then he calls her a little spinner. And that is, yeah, that's not good. They were, and so he said they ordered room service, champagne and mozzarella sticks, which to me is like, I can't think of a greater evening. Um, (laughs) He then says they have mind-blowing sex. I have a hard time believing that. Um, Since he's so against consent, there's no way he's (laughs) giving mind-blowing sex. And then he says he was so hammered, he doesn't even remember. So I'm sure- I'm sure it was so mind-blowing, a blacked-out man. (laughs) Like- and then he goes, but I have a question. Was that rape? We're both drunk and naked. Was it rape? He's And then he starts quoting. He's like, I heard a feminist one time say, anytime a girl is drunk, it's considered rape. And it's like, where are the jokes, babe? Where are yeah. the punchlines from the first night? So here's the joke. He goes, I'm half Irish. So for me, it means that all the women on my side of the family were raped by the men going back 20 generations. Benson goes, I'm done. And she gets up to leave. And then he starts doing an Irish accent. And he goes, and he says, I'll get my grand. I, I'm bad at accents. <laughs> do you want to do it? Do you see the note? What does he say? He says, I'll get my grandmother for Christmas a rape kit. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. So then all the cops leave and Cassidy seems upset that because he has front row seats to his favorite comic. And they're outside. There's Christmas lights around. Um, there's, you know, signs of snow on the ground. And Benson says, ugh, I need to take a shower. He's vile. And Cassidy's like, girl, he was baiting you. And Rollins is like, listen, we can't charge him because we don't like what he said. And then the drunk girl from the night before runs out and she's like, wait, are you really SVU detectives? And, he, and she's like, you know that drunk TSU girl he was talking about? in his set, that's me. And I think he raped me. Obviously a commercial break. Obviously a commercial break. (laughs) So she's in a glitter long sleeve shirt that's layered with pink lace. It's cute. And she seems like her tuition is paid in full by her parents. And um, she has great eyebrows, necklace, or she's fooling us and it's all Marshalls, but she's selling it. And and she says that um, she's president of the Student Activities Board and she helped organize the Josh comedy event. She stayed around after his sets to make sure everything was okay. And he brought her drinks at the bar and he was drinking too. And then, you know, she did have a head start because she was drinking at the show and she was drunk. And Amara's like, okay, it's good you're being straightforward with us. And she's like, we danced, we made out. Out, the bar closed and he had a car waiting for us outside and he said that the, that he had a super cool hotel room that was paid for by the student association. So I should come by and see it and she remembers getting there but she doesn't remember champagne. Everything is hazy. She doesn't remember anything except for when she woke up in the middle of the night She was being raped. She was sodomized. She was face down in a pillow, legs hanging off the bed, and he was inside of her, and she starts to cry, and it hurt a lot, and it was anal. So she says that she said no and stop, but he said, hang on, doll. I'm almost finished. And she wipes away tears. She didn't leave, though. She said um, she was too drunk to leave, so she did stay there in the morning. And then he gave her a swag bag with like t-shirts, hat, and gift cards. And he had a bunch of them in the closet. 
And Rollins said, did you tell anyone what happened? She goes, no, but I wrote an email to him, but I never sent it. And Rollins is like, good, don't open it. Don't do anything. It's in your drafts folder. Don't touch it. We will get into it. And she takes a sip from a paper cup. And now we're in a walk and talk. Barb is in the middle, flanked by Benson and Amaro. This is a very sexy threesome. And he says, this is super gray. And Benson goes, this is black and white. And he's like, it's a rape comic and it's not the same as a rapist. Do you have more evidence? And they're waiting for a rape kit, but the prelim exam shows that, and this is Mulaney's joke back in the day from his first special um, new in town, where he goes, you know, you can't swear on TV, but SVU gets to say crazy shit on primetime. Yeah. And this is one of those sentences where Benson goes, it showed forceful anal penetration with bruising, tearing, and swelling. Not good. Barba yeah. is being so bitchy, holding his coffee, looking down like, okay. She didn't know she was raped until he made fun of her in his monologue. And he's like, it was a confession, not a monologue. And Barb is like, you don't like him. And we can't go after him because of the stand-up routine. And, you know, it's he'll become like a free speech hero. And Benson and Amaro are pleading with him, like, this guy is a classic power assertive rapist. And Amaro is like, there are post-sex swag bags, Barba. Come on, let's track his financials. Maybe there are other victims. Barbara says, fine, get another Vic and I'll get you a warrant. And he spins away. And Renee Clark is with the detectives being like, she's a party girl and she heckled me that night. And babe, and it's like, you heckled too. You're all hecklers, okay? You're all hecklers. You're all terrible audience members. But this guy is a rapist. I don't know if we should have talked about comedy so much up top because he is a bad person. Yeah. I, <laughs> but... You know, what are we going to do? So she's like, it's ironic now that she wants my help. And Benson's like, well, I'm glad you're helping her. You are a hero. You go, girl. So she doesn't get why he isn't arrested, though. And Benson's like, we're on it. Like, you guys, that we're we're a TV show, but we can't move this fast, okay? So Amaro isn't having um, luck tracking swag bag money, but Rollins did find something interesting. Out of 120 bookings last year, he only canceled one in Albany. And it's the student union guy was pissed because the police held him up at a previous gig in New Paltz. Finn chimes in, the New Paltz PD would only confirm that they questioned him about an accusation and Renee Clark is suddenly part of the squad. She's just there <laughs> brainstorming. And the DA didn't press charges there either. And Finn explains th that the girl recanted. So let's find out why. Also, New Paltz is a village in New York. It's 80 miles north of NYC. And it's a SUNY. What is it? State University of New York. And it said that the school is super competitive. And it's a rich hippie town is the vibe I got. So they're off to New Pats. And so we're, I think, I don't know how I said it earlier. So we're at a dorm room of Aubrey, Audrey Truffitt, Truffet, Truffaut, 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 Audrey. Um, beautiful name. So yeah. it's a Sunday and they're working on a Sunday. She doesn't want to be talking to them. And they notice she was, um, she has a really nice watch and they're like, oh, was that diamond watch part of the deal? And she covers it quickly with her sleeve. And she's like, listen, Josh was just being nice. And Rollins is like, when he raped you? And she doesn't like that. And they ask what happened. And she says she was drunk. It was rougher than what she's used to. And she's like, I guess everyone likes it differently. But I think he thought it was normal. And Finn is like, why? Because he gave you a gift bag? And she's shocked. Like, how do they know about it? And they're like, babe, you're not the first one to accuse him. And they asked if she kept the bag. And she is upset. And she 
she can't really talk about it. And Rollins gets closer with her bangs, swoopier than ever. And she says, there's nothing in your non-disclosure agreement about showing us what's in the bag. Was there? She agrees, walks towards her closet, and she hands over the bag. She did use some of the gift cards, but everything else is untouched. There's a mug, and Rollins is like, okay, maybe we can get a warrant. So we're in the office. Um, it's back to Amaro and Benson trying to convince Barba to give a damn. And Lavanique pulled the serial numbers. This is the gift card. And he buys gift cards in batches of 12. And Amaro jokes, cheaper by the dozen. So now everyone wants to be a comedian. Now I have a story. I know I've had too many stories and I, I apologize. So we have a friend and months and months ago, she went a little viral. We posted it, but she went on a date. She went on some dates with a, uh, a New York detective, special yeah. victims unit detective. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't know if they, they had a fun, they had a fun few dates. Um, so while we're at, while we're in Austin, she sends me a screenshot. He texts her going, hey, um, any advice on someone who wants to start comedy and what open mics to go to? And it's like, babe, why don't you go test the rape kits? How about that? We the don't SVU have time. detective? It, yes. He wasn't asking for a friend? No. Oh my God. And it's like, can you just solve the rapes? We need help. We need. We have enough comedians. We have way too many comedians. What we don't have is SVU detectives that are doing their job. No the New open York mics. S- there was just a huge article about how that New York SVU is like working at like a 4% closure rate or something. Like they're doing horrible. Will you send me that? I have to send it to our friend <laughs> to send to him because it's like, babe, you. there's no time for open mics. <laughs> So they tracked all the gift cards to the recipients. Most of the girls said it was consensual sex, even though it was more aggressive than they felt comfortable with. They are also not comfortable with pressing charges. Uh, Barbara still is like, this is not enough. There is no case. And Benson's like, so fucking pissed. Um, But they keep going back and forth arguing. Benson is guilting him. Barbara's giving in with a sigh. So Amaro meets him in the lobby. And he's sad Rollins isn't there. He's like, where's the cute blonde? And Amaro's like, cut the shtick. Do you recognize this girl? Shows a photo of the party girl. He's like, I don't know. Maybe if you have a photo of the top of her head. I mean, Amaro hates Jesus. this guy. And I hate him. We all hate him. And he's like, I'm kidding. And Finn is like, do you know Carly Rydell? And she's accusing you of rape. And then Finn twists the knife and says, lets him know he's not going to be able to buy himself out of this one with a diamond watch. And he's like, oh, you talking about new pulse? And he's like, all odd. <laughs> he says, Audrey, that little chuckle slut. He plays an amazing asshole. I mean, this yeah. is such a great performance. And I've never heard chuckle slut. They're, they're called chuckle fuckers, but this was obviously what they had to do to make it palatable for television. But chuckle slut. <laughs> but I like little chuckle slut. I do like. Um, that little chuckle slut. So he says that she recanted, and so will this chick. Finn says, well, the DA disagrees, which is untrue. Barbara does not want to take this to trial. Benson is forcing this upon him. You bullied him into it. So this is all funny to me, too. The comic's loving it, and he does not realize, like, no, 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 you're a rapist. So he's like, this is a political case. Awesome news. I'm the right guy. Amaro goes, call your attorney. He loves being arrested. The paparazzi is already outside the hotel. He calls Ice-T Jay-Z. 
Oh my God. And he wants a show. So let's do this. He dedicates his arrest to Lenny Bruce. And it's like, I think Lenny Bruce just swore. I think you raped, but okay. So that's another thing comics will sometimes do, but where they're like, comics, we got to have each other's back. Comics, we're all comics. We got to have each other's back. And it's like, no, 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 no. We are people and I hate you. Like, yeah. I support, I would have comics backs and saying shit, but it's like a lot of you guys suck. Like there's more to life than being a comic. You don't have women's backs when people say that guys are fucking creeps. They don't have the backs. There's no backs then. Yeah, why don't you have our backs? Yeah. Damn, that's a good point. (laughs) Oh yeah, comics only have each other's back. Yeah, it's just, God, I need a joint. I'm like getting too stressed out. Okay, so then he's got the big bucks. So he has Elizabeth Marvel, a.k.a. Rita Calhoun, and she's on the courtroom steps on a brisk New York day. And they're focusing on the material of all this, not the rape part. They keep mentioning free speech, censorship. So then one reporter asks Josh, is rape funny? And he responds, no, of course not. And then a guy reporter shouts, but gang rape is. And then all the reporters giggle. And he goes, no, I respect women, many of whom are my fans. So now we're in court and the party girl's on the stand and she's reading her unsent email. Josh, I'm really confused about what happened last night. It was fun at first, but you so crossed the line. I'm really sore. I don't get why you didn't listen to me when I said stop. It wasn't okay what you did with me. She says the reason she didn't send it was because she had to work with him that night because she is the student activity chair. And Barb is like, okay, let's get through the night. And they recap what happened to her. Show, drinks, hotel, kiss, bed. And then she's holding tears back. He was really forceful. At first she went along with it, but the room was spinning. She passed out. When she woke up, he was sodomizing her. She continued that it hurt. She said no. She was crying. He didn't listen and he did whatever he wanted. She then stayed the night and she goes, she was too drunk to leave, but she slept on the bathroom floor. Now it's Rita's turn, and we know this is not going to be easy. So she's like, you've been to six of Josh Galloway's shows last year. You're a groupie. And she goes, I was a fan. And she's like, didn't you want to sleep with him? And she goes, yeah, you know, I'm not sure what I wanted. And, which is fair. Like, I, you know what I mean? You're also allowed to change your mind. Yeah. You drank at the bar and made out. You wanted it, didn't you? And she admits that she was flattered. And Rita's like, well, you loved the room service and sex, didn't you? And then the girl screams back, that wasn't sex. I would never have sex there. I definitely did not want it. And I told him that it hurt. She then says, you felt no pain the rest of the night, huh? Barbara calls an objection. So then she pushes about the booze and is like, you're you're drunk. And the girl is very Tinsley Mortimer in this. And she goes, yeah, I'm drinking Luann. <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, people are allowed to drink. She's doing the classic slut shame, drunk shame of a rape victim and counting her drinks, calls her a binge drinker and says, you use alcohol to experiment in being a slut. So that's that. There's objections. The court case gets wild. Benson shakes her head in the stands. John shakes, Josh shakes his head no. Now we watch someone watch Josh vlogging his trial. He names her, even though it's an anonymous accuser. So fuck you, dude. Is there like a law against so that? So shitty. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sh- I mean, publications are not allowed to. I don't know about individuals. 
So then we pull back and um, on the screen and the the whole team is watching it on a bar. So Cassidy is in the middle holding the screen. I think it's an iPad. And then at tomorrow, Finn, Rollins and Benson all at the bar. And it's a bar that I would like to be at. It looks like divey and perfect. You know, this guy is just not understanding the difference between sex and rape. And he's willfully not seeing a difference. And then he shows a video from the show. Um, and this is where things get a little heart on the case. This girl was wasted and she acted super quote-unquote easy and this video evidences her being just like a drunk slut at the show and she gets on stage, she flashes him her bra and she was into being like partying and then, you know, they keep nicknaming her party girl so then Josh on this video goes, you know what else starts with P? Perjury. And it's out. You want to fucking kill him. Like, you want to kill this man. Like, uh. so Ben, so every, you know, he's laughing. Benson runs out of the bar. She's very upset. Barbara is on the big screen TV um, showing Carly the video. She's so embarrassed. Like, who got this video? And Barbara's mad at Rollins, like, that they didn't find it or how it spread. And so he's mad that they didn't do better police work. Barbara's being a brat and he runs out upset about the case. And they're in judges' chambers and the lawyers are going head to head. So Rita's denying knowing about the video. Um, Barbara's pocket square is popping. She wants it in as evidence. Barbara wants a full mistrial. That's denied. Um, Benson is walking down the courtroom lobby now, and she's like, I mean, it's an uphill battle, I understand, but the video is excluded. And Barbara's straight up like, shut up. (laughs) So that's that. So now Benson's on the stand. Rita's going at her, and she's like still hammering on about the drinking of it all. And Rita also has a very ugly low ponytail. It's like a comb over poof in the front and a low pony in the back. Josh is smiling. <laughs> he loves all of this. And Benson and Barba um, are back to walking, and she is like, sorry to fu- fucking up this, you know, trial. So she fucked up on the stand. And she's like, I fucked up. I'm so sorry. This is my first back on the stand since William Lewis. And he interrupts her and goes, yeah, I know. And it doesn't matter. Barbara then accuses Benson of pushing this case for her own ego. And Benson is shocked. And then they go into a private room to fight. And she's like, what did you just say? And he says, well, you took over the squad and you want to make a big name for yourself. So you're taking down this celebrity to show everyone how you're not scared. And and she's like shocked and she's like, that's how you feel about me? Like, you know that that's not me. I'm not an ego-driven person and you know that. And he brings up her tough year and that she's going through a lot. And she's like, wait, so is it my ego or is it that my judgment's impaired? And he goes, no, my judgment's impaired and I'm pissed that I took this case and your squad did a shitty fucking job investigating and I'm annoyed. And so she's pissed and she's like, I thought we had each other's back. And he says, so did I. And walks off. And so now Josh is on the stand and he's crushing it, okay? He's doing jokes. Nothing is serious to him. This is a rape trial. He does not give a fuck. He is laughing it up. Rita Calhoun is casually leaning on the stand like they're like talking at a bar. He's ragging on the uh, on Carly, the party girl, and how she came back after the show and that the only reason she brought up these allegations are after the show where he did jokes making fun about her. And, you know, she took the gift bag and the jury is cracking up about this gift bag. And, the ju- and then he turns to the judge and he goes, how you doing? 
And Barba is sitting. He's sassy. And, um, you know, he's doing the ice tea school of acting. He's sitting instead of standing when he starts the questioning. So Barbara goes, okay, so you're saying this is just like a one-night stand and her feelings got her and that's that? And he goes, yeah, she came after me hard. And he asks if that happens to him a lot. And he says, yes, I'm very famous and I'm very funny and people want to fuck me. And the jury is loving it, laughing. And Barbara adds, and and you're good looking. And I don't get that. Is Barbara flirting? Uh, I know, I think he's trying to lull him into a false sense of security so he can go after him. So, but I don't think this is going well. So they flirt a little. He brings up anal sex and he goes, that's not illegal in the state of New York. He calls this whole trial a joke. And Barbara brings up consent and he's like, she went up to my hotel room. She came into my bed. It's hard to shoot a moving target. And Barbara quickly is like, how about an unconscious one? Barbara's like, the Emmy said that Carly suffered many injuries. And so he goes, so did I. That's the funny thing about sex. You get injured. And again, the jury's laughing. That wasn't even that funny. Everyone's laughing. Barbara's trying to be serious. And finally, he's like, is this all funny to you? Her pain, her screaming, her sleeping on the bathroom floor. And he gets sassy again. And I mean, he refuses to be serious. He's like, oh, were you there? I didn't realize I had a threesome. Barbara flips like, oh my God, this trial's just material material for you, huh? And then Josh calls himself an artist and Barbara questions him. And he goes, listen, life is my material. Racism, incest, rape. If you don't joke about it, you cry. And it's like, no, if you got raped and then made jokes, that would be great. You can't make jokes as the rapist. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense. So he says that it's his job as a social satirist. Satirist? How do you say that word? Satirist. I didn't, so both of my options were wrong. Okay, (laughs) satirist. So finally he gets serious. He's like, you got to shock people and go there and make them think about Christian hypocrisy. And Barbara's like, okay, so forcing yourself onto a passed out 21-year-old is part of your act. And he's like, again, he's the victim. And he's like, this trial is bogus, you know. And he's like, this isn't a rape trial. This is a trial about a young girl who got in over her head. And it's like, is that not a confession? To me, that's a confession. Yeah. Like, because if someone's over their head in something and they go, wait, I don't want to do this, you should stop. I, I yeah. Okay. And he, again, is just like, she had a fantasy about becoming part of my world. But um, when the coach turned back into a pumpkin, she cried and then cried rape. And instead of getting getting over it, you sue. And if you think she's not going to sue, I have a bridge to sell you. And Barbara interrupts. So wait, is she after you for your money or we want you silenced or we're mad at you for calling out Christians? And he adds, and my success. I am not guilty and I'm sorry if her feelings got hurt. I did not rape that girl. Nothing further. So then we get a shot of Renee Clark looking panicked as hell and then a shot of Carly looking pissed as hell. And we're in a busy hallway and there's a little chat session going on about like what's going to happen. And Benson's like, yeah, I mean, they saw the video and Renee is like, ugh, Carly is such a waste case. She then is like, fuck, I feel bad. I was a victim and now I'm victim blaming. Benson is like, we both know Carly didn't want this to happen, but she is a dumb slut. Both things can be true. 
And Renee is like, what about all the other girls? And she explains the judge won't allow it because, and then Renee is like, okay, so we need another victim. What if we set him up? And Benson goes, the NYPD cannot approach him during this trial without his lawyer. And Renee is like, what if it's not the NYPD? And Renee is like, anything that you're thinking of doing, you are not doing it. He is a dangerous man. And she's like, okay, fine. Yeah, he's dangerous. And now he's about to get to go free. And Benson's like, well, you brought him to trial. Maybe he'll think twice before raping again. Huh? So then <laughs> Benson walks off. Renee rushes off the bench. And I think we know what's about to happen. She will not be listening to Benson. Josh is sitting at a bustling bar and we see Renee enter the bar in disguise with like a confused outfit for sure. There's buns, there's glasses, there's drop earrings, there's heels that are so of this time um, <laughs> and like a professional tight dress. Um, the music is bumping. She walks towards Josh who's on his phone drink and like he's drinking and then just scrolling on his phone. So this is, he's definitely a comic. This is how I spend most of my life on the road, just alone <laughs> at a bar on my phone. Um, they start flirting. He asks, um, if he knows her. And she's like, oh, we met a few years ago. He pretends to remember her. What are you drinking? Yada, yada. We're at the hotel. The champagne is being pro uh, poured. She says she's nervous and he sits her down and goes, that's what the booze is for, girl. She takes, he takes off um, her glasses and places them on the nightstand. She takes her bun down and he calls her pretty and they start to kiss and everything is fine. But then she looks at her phone and is like, oh, fuck. That's the third text from my boyfriend. And he's like, boyfriend? And she's like, fuck, he tracked my phone. I have to go. And he's like, no. And then blocks her. And he grabs the bottle of champagne and says, "What? once we pop, we don't stop. She says, sorry, I really have to go. He grabs her arm, pulls her back, and won't let her leave the hotel room. She keeps saying no and how she has to go. He does not compute. He's like, what are you talking about? How do you, what do you mean? Like, he's very Hilaria Baldwin here. He's like, no, how do you, como yeah. does, how, wait, you do a great impression. <laughs> como se dice cucumber? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's doing that. Like, he doesn't know what no means. She's fighting him off. It gets really uncomfortable. It's a really intense scene. It's really hard to watch this scene, yeah. Yeah, she keeps saying stop. He goes, fine, if you like it rough, I can get rough. Throws her on the bed. She continues to scream. She is now crying. She push. He pushes her face down under the bed. She is fighting for her life. He is going to rape her. She, and he has no intentions to stop. He's pulling her hair as she cries. And finally, she kicks him and is able to get up from his grip. And while she's sitting up, he rips her dress off and she stands up and he says, oh, now you're ready to party. So then she kicks him again and then has to kick him in the dick. Finally, he falls over and screams, God, <sighs> she grabs her glasses off the nightstand and runs off. And he's yelling like, hey, where are you going? And it's like, away from you. <laughs> what? And he calls her a bitch. And now uh, we watch the attack on a laptop screen and Barba slowly shuts the laptop screen down as we see a smug I win look on his face. Josh is sitting there and still doesn't look like um, he's taking any of this seriously. Rita Calhoun looks at him like this fucking idiot and says there was a camera in her eyeglasses. Rita accuses the NYPD of doing this. Barba assures her that she did it all on her own and bought her spyware glasses at Best Buy. Shout out. Yeah, she probably has a receipt and I'm sure that Teru got something better than Best Buy spy glasses. So, proof. And Rita is like, who cares? This won't be admissible regardless and thinks the NYPD still did this. Barba is calm and confident. He says, she did this on her own and I'm not looking to use it at this trial. I'm bringing on a new case bitch. Attempted rape and sexual assault. And Josh is like, hey, hey, what is this? First a vendetta, now a shakedown. And it's like, you tried to rape someone on camera. 
Yeah. What? So even his lawyer is like, Josh, stop. So finally he shuts up. And she's like, I'm sure me and Barba can work something out. And he smiles. So now it's Carly and a little Wednesday Adams caller and asking Finn and Rollins, like, damn, Josh agreed to a deal. Um, he's not going to jail, but he is going to be a registered sex offender for 10 years. And she goes, wow. So does this mean I can sue him? And she smiles. And Rollins says, that's your call. And Finn judges her and leans back in his chair. And Benson and Barba, the two Bs, are spying. Um, on the two-way mirror. And they're like, this bitch is a piece of work, damn. And then we get info that v- Renee's video of Josh can never see the light of day. It all has to remain confidential. And Amaro's like, I mean, he still wins. This is bullshit. And Benson tries to be like, I mean, he pled guilty and he's on the registry. And Amaro's like, yeah. And he walks right back on stage. And Barbara says, who knows? I mean, the court of public opinion is strong, but also he's going to sell theaters now. He, the yeah. venues will get bigger. I think they underestimate yeah. how many people love a rapist. Yeah. So then Benson then needs to stick it to Barba and is like, so it was the right thing to do to bring this case up, right? And he says, don't fish. You snatched a tie out of the jaws of defeat. And then he goes, you want to stay commanding officer? I want you to stay commanding officer. Don't bring me cases like this. And he walks off with a little briefcase. Amaro's like, what the fuck? And Benson goes, ego. And he's like, you saved his ass. And she goes, well, yeah, after I put it out on the line. And Amaro goes, no, he will get over it. And so will Cassidy. And she goes, what? Very defensively. And he's like, well, you took down his favorite comic. And she says, (laughs) good night. And he walks away. Another reason why Cassidy was not the right person for Liv. Like, this guy is his favorite comic. And her cell phone rings and it's Brian Cassidy. And she red button rejects it. And then... This is just like a crossover. Like, who cares about this ending? But knock, knock. It's Sophia Bush as Detective Aaron Lindsay from Chicago PD. And she said that the raspy voice man Voight had called and they need help on an ear-cutting rape case uh, because Benson knows the MO. They didn't get far in investigating. And then Sophia's like, damn, how did you guys even like do this? No witnesses, no evidence. This makes me feel like a rookie again. And Benson sits down powerfully and says, for what it's worth, your boss said you were the smartest detective he's ever worked with. But I'll get you those notes and the and you know, email whatever you need. So she came to New York for this ear file. Sophia Bush can't believe that Voight said nice things about her and Benson says good luck. Sophia smiles and then Benson's alone in her chair and that's that's it. I hate Yeah, it. like she came from Chicago to get files. It's so confusing. <laughs> I don't, yeah, because this is before the like Rudnick stuff. Like, this is before all the crossovers. I just, I don't, I don't like a, I don't like the ending. I wish it ended as, as big as it started. I talked for too long. This is a nightmare. Casey, have fun editing. And that's that. All right. Stay where you are. When you come back, we've got some crime. Okay, so 
we talked about this a little bit up top. Like the general theme of this episode is obviously ripped from like comics with controversial jokes. And at this time, you may or may not remember, but I remember this, that Daniel Tosh had a very controversial moment where he had a rape joke and he said it at a show and a woman at the show yelled out, actually rape jokes are never funny. And then Tosh replied, wouldn't it be funny if that girl got raped by like five guys right now? Like right now, what if a bunch of guys just raped her? Dot, dot, Okay, dot. I remember this. Yeah, I so totally that- forgot all about this and now I'm back and I remember this. Yeah. So that was his quote and like a lot of comics, like a lot of comics that we know and like were coming to his defense. A lot of comics were saying like- I probably did too. said earlier, like he has, you know, it's just gotta be funny, whatever. But But this is also a thing where she heckled and you have to think quick. You know what I mean? Like, and- uh, I bet that's just where his brain went and he had to shut it down. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah, like, yeah. you have multiple, you have a few seconds to decide how you're going to respond. Yeah. Well, he apologized later, I guess, to the woman, like through a blog or something. This all happened like right before this episode, like 2013. And then he also defended his initial jokes and like that people have to be able to joke about whatever they want. Well, because it's like everyone has their own sensitive thing. Like you can't, you can't take everyone's needs into account when you're performing. Like, I just got, like, an angry message from someone about a joke I have. It's a quick bit about diabetes. I am the butt of the joke. Yeah. But a woman wrote that, like, her kid almost died because of diabetes and what a serious illness. And it's like, I'm sorry, we can't take diabetes off the table, like, because of your child. And it's same. It's like... I'm sorry if your grandfather died in a fire, but like we can, we can't, you can't, can't do a questionnaire. Not a fire. Yeah. yeah. You can't just do a questionnaire of every audience and everything's off the table. And obviously there's more like traumatic and fucked up topics like rape, but everyone has their own sad things. Yeah. Everyone has lived a life. Everyone has sensitive topics. You can't yeah. say every, like it's off limits because And a lot of people of you. feel differently. A lot of people feel differently about the, the those topics. They like to hear jokes about them or they don't, you know? Yeah. So it's just too many people to, you can't, you just can't please everybody. And like- This is, ex- I'm excited to hear everything though because I forgot about the Tosh and right when you said that, I'm like that, yep, I remember this. Well, oh, that's wow. kind of, that's kind of all I have for that. Like basically that was like where that like little piece, like that general- piece of the beginning and like with the whole Renee part and her standing up and blah, blah, blah. That's where that came from. The gift swag bag reference comes from a rumor published by the New York Post that said that Derek Jeter gave gift baskets to women after one night stands. A source said to the Post, quote, Derek has girls stay with him at his apartment in New York and then he gets them a car to take them home the next day. Waiting in his car is a gift basket containing signed Jeter memorabilia, usually a signed baseball. End quote. Jeter replied and said, I read the article, you know, you see it. And then it's like, how the fuck did people come up with this? You know, basically that's it. And who would believe this shit? And you believed it. End of quote. So So Derek Jeter denies it. Derek Derek Jeter denies it. I don't know. But honestly, I bet you could sell an autographed baseball for a lot of money. Like I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be It's a nice little gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than a mug like to get. uh, And I don't think Derek Jeter is raping. Yeah. Yeah, but that's where the gift bag idea came from because that article came out like right before this art, this uh, episode. And then- Because you know NeNe Leakes too one time told an audience member, I hope you get raped and then her tour was canceled. And yes. I don't know if she ever did stand up again. Yeah, and look at that. Like, 
that's the difference between a woman saying something and also a black woman saying something than a white man who goes, I said it and I apologized. I'm moving on. Going to keep going with my show that's on television and my tours, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I don't think anyone, yeah, totally. Okay. So this episode is based on a couple of crazy crimes. One is the story of Vince Champ, who was a former stand-up comedian who won Star Search in 1992 and he won $100,000, okay? He did clubs and colleges all over the country. Everybody loved this guy. He was known as a clean comic, which if you don't know, just means no swearing, not talking about really sex or anything blue. And college bookers love that shit. Like college bookers will be like, please don't swear. Please don't talk about XYZ topics. Like, so he was booking colleges all over the place. Everybody said, nice as sky, clean as a whistle. And guess what? A fucking serial rapist. This guy would find victims on the college campuses, like not at his shows, like in the episode, but he would go to like the computer labs or music rooms and he'd find girls by themselves. He would cover their faces so that they couldn't see him. He would assault them and talk to them while he was assaulting them. Like this one victim said, quote, I was just trying to do anything to get out of there alive as quickly as possible. But she said that while he was assaulting her, he asked her about her sexual history, her parents, her siblings, her roommate. Um, And then he like threatened to take her ID so that he could find her later, threatened her with scissors. And he told her if she didn't play along, he would, you know, beat her face in. And he didn't do any of that. He never took her ID and he never like beat her up. But you know, he told her, wait five minutes and then asked her to pray for him after he left, like as he left, like sick. And he did this to multiple people. And then in May of 1997, he was attempting to rape a woman at Pasadena City College here right near me where I live. And that's where the NPR station that I listened to is out of. And the woman screamed. He ran, witnesses heard the scream and got his license plate number and he got arrested the next day. And then his DNA popped on a bunch of other rapes at college campuses. And one of his agents said that his college schedule looked like, quote, a roadmap of where these rapes occurred. So he was only convicted of three of them, but he's linked to a bunch more. Um, but he's currently serving 30 to 40 year sentence at, in Nebraska for rapes that he committed in that state. And as soon as he is set to be released in 2033, he's facing two life sentences for rapes he did in Iowa. So he's never getting out, which is amazing. But like universally revered as like a nice guy comic. And he would apparently chastise other comics for like their material being too blue, the way Cosby used to do. Yeah, clean comedians are always on a high horse. And it's like, after Bill Cosby, your argument has crumbled. Yeah. Swear a little. So that's one fucked up, like, old case from, not that old, but from the 90s. And then- I'm glad he's in jail forever. And then this one is what I always remember thinking that it was based on, because this happened in 2013, like, seven months before this episode came out. There's a comic named Adam Scott Richmond. And on July 29th, 2013, um, in Bloomington, Minnesota, the cops were called at about 3 a.m. to an assault in progress, and they were told a woman was yelling at a man to stop and get away. This woman worked as a server at Rick Bronson's Comedy Club at the Mall of America. Do you know this venue? I've performed there multiple times. Oh, okay. Wait, this is so wild. Yeah. Yeah, I've performed there. They own a club. They own multiple clubs. So I've performed at Rick Bronson's comedy clubs in like Edmonton and Arizona and at the Mall of America. But I love living in a mall. Yes. I've never been to the Mall of America. I'd love to go. 
And once I performed there during Black Friday weekend, and everyone was like, uh-oh. And I was like, oh, I got all the sales. I had a wedding oh to go. God. Like, I needed to buy stuff for all these events. And I had I got to hit up all the sales, eat Starbucks for breakfast, and walk around the mall. <laughs> and it was like a dream. <laughs> I would have just assumed it would be packed. But I guess it's like the world's biggest, or like the biggest mall, that it's probably not as packed as like a regular size mall. Oh, yeah. And there's tons to do there. I mean... I can't believe this was a server at a place that I know. This is like crazy. Yeah. So this server had become acquainted with a California-based comedian named Adam Scott Richmond, who has been seen on NBC's Last Comic Standing as he had headlined that club various times over a five-year period. And over the years, I guess he had allegedly hit on her a bunch of times. And then on the date of this assault, she agreed to let Richmond come to her house after the comedy show for a few drinks. And she told him she had no romantic interest in him. And then the two of them drank at her house with two of her roommates for a little while. He made inappropriate comments to her, grabbed her, and she denied him repeatedly and punched him. And then her roommates went to sleep. I don't know. I don't want a victim blame, but it's like, get the guy out of there before the roommates go to sleep. Anyway... After they went to sleep, he became aggressive, touched her inappropriately, told her he quote, wanted to, quote, make love to her. He She punched him several times, told him to leave, and called a cab for him. And then in the, in the official complaint, it says Richmond knocked her to the ground, reached up her dress and touched her inappropriately, also exposed himself to her, and that she pushed him away, and that he finally just took off in the taxi that she'd called for him. So police then caught up with him at his Ramada hotel room and arrested him. And he told police he was, quote, maybe a little aggressive. I tried to kiss her. I might have grabbed her, end quote. And police said Richmond also had a blood alcohol level of 0.17 at the time. So he was quite drunk. And he admitted to police that he exposed himself to the woman and wrestled her to the ground thinking it was flirtatious. He was charged with one count of fourth degree criminal sexual conduct and one count of third degree attempted criminal sexual conduct. And if he was convicted of both of those, he would have received 25 years in prison or up to 25 years in prison and $50,000 in fines. But as usual... Men get away with everything. And at his trial, Richmond asked for a bench trial instead of a jury trial. And then the judge, Daniel Mabley, said that both parties were drunk and they were there were inconsistencies in the story. So in both of their stories. So in June of 2014, he was acquitted. And I went on his but website. But he also admitted, like to the police, he admitted to being aggressive and grabbing her and wrestling her. To, like he admitted to that. So but he thought it was like flirtatious. And so I guess they thought it didn't constitute assault. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. I thought he would have gotten something. And his website, I went to his website. It said he had tour dates in Japan and Korea in February. I, so I'm not sure what he's up to beyond that. We have 46 Facebook friends in common and his last tweets are supporting Elon Musk and complaining about the release of Britney Griner. So this guy is fucking horrible. He's like a sleaze. And then I went on his Instagram and I was like, ugh, like he's just gross. But I think this case got a little bit of traction. I could have seen a couple, I could have seen some of the writers of this show maybe catch. I, honestly, when you Google it, there's so few articles about it, but- I could see some like New York City writers catching the like wind of this story and having it be like part of what happened with like like folding it into like the Tosh stuff too, you know? Because I don't think anybody's ever accused Daniel Tosh of being a rapist. So they kind of combine stories. No, I actually, but I did used to kickbox and the teacher used to date Tosh. Oh, really? 
Yeah, it was thrilling. And she oh. was very hot. And I, you know, hard classes at the export yeah. fitness in Old Town. <laughs> I mean, very long time ago. Wait, this guy is a creep. Oh my God. I know. Like his fucking Instagram, like his Facebook, his tweet about like, he was like, oh, so we're going to bring Brittany Griner home who doesn't even love her country in exchange for this murder. Like, you know, the people that were like, like criticizing Brittany Griner's release. Like fucking, this man seems horrible, but. I just can't believe he wasn't charged for anything. I know. I know. But he admitted to stuff. I know he admitted to like the aggressiveness, but maybe it didn't like, you know, measure up to like the charges. I I have no idea. Damn. Yeah. So he is acquitted and he's on the road and maybe he only performs like abroad where people don't know or whatever. Like I, cause I couldn't really see his schedule beyond that, but yeah, he's, uh, and uh, not so good, but we've got a great waitress is okay too. Yeah. Me too. Yes. We got a great guest for you guys though. So don't go anywhere. You're going to be impressed. You guys, I am so pumped about today's guest. To me, he belongs in the comedic actor hall of fame. You know him best from films like Little Big League, Brighton Beach Memoirs, and the iconic Weekend at Bernie's. He was also the lead on the NBC comedy that I watched, The Single Guy. But you know him today as rape joke comedian and literal rapist Josh Galloway. Please enjoy our conversation with the very talented Jonathan Silverman. First of all, you know, you you are an icon of my youth. Like, all the movies, like, I used to watch The Single Guy. I mean, Weekend at Bernie's, all the stuff you were in. Like, you were, like, a star to me in, when I was growing up. And, and still, I was gagged when we got you. But I also wanted to let you know <laughs> that in New York, um, there is this show. We're both stand-up comedians, me and Lisa. And... There's this show in New York that they do around Halloween that's called Shtick or Treat. And it's where comedians dress up as other comedians and they do yeah. like two minutes of material like as them. And people come and watch it and it's funny. So I had done other people. I had done Ellen DeGeneres, Whitney Cummings. And then the year that this episode came out, I dressed as fictional rape comic Josh Galloway. Wow. <laughs> and I was you for this show. Oh my God. <laughs> and it do was, you have any photos or videos of this moment? I don't think I do. I don't think I have any video. That's impressive. It's unfortunate. And really twisted. I know. Good choice. I was like, I was like, this was. Well, it, I, I was, wasn't there, but Kara said, she goes, those who got it, got it. And a lot of people were. A lot of people were like, wait, what? And then a lot of, but then I think the people that didn't get it were like, oh, I get it. She's doing like a commentary on like the comics that do rape jokes. And I was like, well, I'm doing a commentary on SVU's commentary of comics that do rape jokes. So anyway, that's my little story. So like you are, but you're this like long time comedic actor. Have you ever done stand up before you did this episode of the show? Uh, no, no. I uh, I admire the art form of stand-up comedy so much. Uh, some of my best friends, actually, my very best friend was a, was a beloved stand-up. Uh, but, but I knew I could never, I don't want to say never, uh, I, I, I knew it would be a very difficult transition to make. So I, I far preferred observing and watching and enjoying than being uh, a stand-up. Uh, I've certainly, I've hosted many events. I've, I've emceed many mm-hmm. events, which I hate doing with such a passion, but I come from such a nice Jewish family and my dad and grandfather were rabbis. And when people ask me to do stuff, I say yes. 
especially for charity. But uh, but no, I've never done stand up. And when I <laughs> when I got this offer, um, first of all, uh, um, Warren Light is 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 an old is an old friend, oh, and Warren okay. was the I don't have to tell you guys, uh, but he he ran the show for 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 forever. And and Mariska is 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 a friend of mine for thirty plus years. Speaking of the single guy, she was um, uh, she she did about three episodes of the single guy. Wow. She was uh, a character, also a policewoman. Uh, she was a character called Mounted Cop, and uh, and I believe Mariska was shooting on the same lot we were doing the single guy. And um, whenever this character would appear, it was mostly whenever we would do like uh, uh, you know the outside stuff, uh, which would all take place on the lot anyway, the same place where they did all of you know Seinfeld's exteriors on New York Street and Central Park. We would always say, "Hey, Mariska, are you available? Can you come? Can you come Thursday at like you know five p.m. and and you know do this one quick scene with us?" So anyway, sorry. So when Warren took over the show, he kindly asked me to do a handful of episodes. Uh, one I was in Vancouver shooting. One I was shooting nearby, and I just couldn't make the dates work. So I think this was the third or fourth time that he asked me to do it. So I said, without even reading it, when he called, I said, "Yes, of course, I'm available. March twentieth for a week. I'm there, Warren. I'm there. I don't even care what it is. I'm there." He says, "Oh, but you're gonna like it. I went, even if I don't like it, Warren, I'm gonna do it." And then I read it and went, "Oh fuck, this <laughs> this is. This, I don't know if I could pull this off. I mean." A rapist who's into sodomy and and, and 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 Lord knows what and saying all these things and uh, needless to say it was a stand up comedy uh, bit and I, I and like I just mentioned I have no I have no you know uh, reference of, of ever doing this so I, I asked my dear friend uh, who was a stand up uh, for some points and and, and tips and and uh, uh, he helped me uh, tremendously uh, but man it was a it was a hard role just just doing the stand up just the first. I guess that first monologue where, where the show opens was terribly difficult, let alone, you know, oh, here comes the nudity and the raping and the yeah. coaching. Uh, that, uh, that, that, that was equally uh, difficult. But, uh, but wow, it's a good episode of television. It was yeah. really good. And the, the bit that was really great is when you're like, rape's not funny, but gang rape is. That is a great, that was a great bit. Um because <laughs> threes, if you if you do it in threes, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. threes yeah. Yeah. from comedy. Yeah. It was yeah. good. It was Earth. really funny when the cops did sit right in the front row. Mariska was a bad yeah. audience member, um, but yeah. that and was that's, so that was filmed wild. at the comic strip on the Upper East Side, right? That, that's right. I, I used that's to right. perform uh-huh. there all the time, I bet you so did. I, rec- I bet you recognized did. it immediately. You know, it's 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 funny or sad. At the same time, I, I probably get stopped or, you know, recognized every other week by someone for this one episode <laughs> of a show that has run 20 some odd seasons. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how many people have watched that, that particular episode and, uh, recognize me from it. And, you know, their first reaction is like, Oh, you were so great. It was, it's usually, Oh my God, yeah. you're just so disgusting. You're vile. Nice job. <laughs> Wait, there was another funny part I wrote down that I really liked. You call Ice T Jay Z, which is very funny too. I really like Thank that. you. Um, <laughs> the 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 producers were kind enough to let me have some fun with the with the script as much as possible. And I'm usually incredibly loyal to the writer's words, especially when it's a friend. But I think because the role was that of a of a comic, they they kind of encouraged me to to go off book as much as possible and and make make it seem, you know, as, as fresh, especially this particular character who's just, you know, 
awful and disgusting. Um, and I do remember asking the director and producer before I said that, I said, may I, um, may I call him a couple? And we tried a bunch of different things. Jay Z was the one that stuck. Um, but my God, I mean, I think 50 cent and, and <laughs> vanilla ice. Um, every, everything, but ice tea's actual, actual, <laughs> but, but the strange thing is everything was happening so fast and it was, it was shot, you know, on, on a steady cam and there was, you know, a lobby full of extras and people were screaming and yelling and I was handcuffed and, you know, being, being processed. And, and, uh, uh, I, I, I don't think he ever knew that I wasn't calling him by his <laughs> actual character name or that I was saying something, uh, cause he was waiting for his cue and his cue had nothing to do with Jay Z or ice, you know, or ice cube or, uh, any of the <laughs> other ones I might've come up with. So, uh, ice cube would have so been a about, funny one. Our listeners mix was, up ice tea with ice cube. They would have the liked time. that. <laughs> so I was waiting for, I was waiting for him to punch me or say something, but, but it never, he never, he never caught on. So, well, I guess we can slowly go into, so yeah, the whole episode serious, but you know, it is fun. All your lines are so funny. And then, the last scene, the attempted rape, is really uncomfortable to watch. It is really graphic. How was filming it? How was doing it? And then if you did watch it, how was... It is really... In, it, it's an intense scene. You guys did a great job filming it. Thanks. <laughs> um, I, it, it, certainly, it certainly wasn't fun. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, uh, man, that was a rough one. I, I, I do remember uh, uh, shooting it and feeling so awful. Uh, almost ill, almost nauseous, and uh, getting back to my hotel room, which I want to say was in the same hotel where we shot. So I mean, all I had to do was push, you know, floor thirty-three, and I was I was home. But that was just like the longest ride of my life, and my wife had just come from we, we live in LA to to, to visit, and uh, um, you know, she probably had a great day, and probably you know saw a matinee and, <laughs> and Skylar Day, the actress uh, who was in the episode who, uh, you know, was my scene partner, uh, was so uh, lovely in every time. And, and, and everything was obviously choreographed. And this was before they had those, you know, those coordinators. Intimacy coordinators. The intimacy yeah. coordinators. I mean, it was just us trying to figure out the beats on, on our own with the director. Um, uh, but everything was done with, you know, her approval um and uh you know she was even telling me okay you you can go a step farther you can go a bit harder it was it was awful it was just awful because uh, i mean i know when i do a, a a fight scene even if i'm the one getting the shit kicked out of me uh and having to take a punch i'm always so concerned about my scene partner and make sure you know i hope your hand didn't hurt so much when you slugged me in the face <laughs> Um, but this was something I just wasn't uh, comfortable with, wasn't prepared for, and the after effect was was kind of awful too. And yeah, watching it was was pretty disgusting too. I I I, I, I do remember kind of wanting that scene to just you know end even quicker yeah. than the editors uh, 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 had played it. But uh, good stuff. It was good for the. It was good. It was good for the real. I, yeah. I think I think that show. I think that show has helped book me a, a couple of gigs over the years because like oh yeah, Silverman he's. He's funny, but you know, can he can he go dark? Does he have a dark yeah. side? It's like, yes. Do you want to see something? And there you go. How was working with um, Elizabeth Marvel, who played your lawyer? We love her. Oh God, <laughs> she is dynamite. She is so so lovely. And I remember one uh, the, the particular time of year we were shooting this uh, this episode. It was a, a a giant blizzard. There's a name for it. Like the, the, it, you guys just had one in New York. The, <laughs> 
the super blizzard, the 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 the, the oh the, yeah, uh, this uh, was twenty fourteen, the winter vortex, Arctic tornado, <laughs> the vortex. Thank you. Yes, it was twenty fourteen. It was the end of January, I guess, and it was the winter vortex, and New York shot down. I mean, there were there were oftentimes scenes that were supposed to take place outside that they just had to scrap filming, and then you know we we shot some interiors. Um, but I do remember schools were closed and Elizabeth didn't know what to do with her seven-year-old son. So she brought, she brought him to set <laughs> and, uh, and there was this sweet kid, you know, all day long, just hanging out with mom Aww. and, uh, you know, having to watch scenes with her, with this jerky guy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, but she's, she's terrific. She's just terrific. She's Lovely rep- lady. That character's represented a lot of jerks on the show, but I don't think she's ever yeah. told any of them to shut up. Like she was <laughs> right. like, stop talking. <laughs> totally. So your wife is also an actress, Jennifer Finnegan, and we have a classic question we like to ask when spouses are both actors. Okay. So for auditions and stuff, like, do you guys help each other tape stuff? Are you reading lines together? Do you guys fight while you read lines? What's what's the process? The answer to all of those questions is yes. Um, <laughs> pre, uh, pre-pandemic, yeah, for sure. We would always help run lines with one another. We'd always give each other notes. You know, we're, we're, we're both longtime actors. We're also directors. We even directed together uh, on a film. So we certainly appreciate each other's, you know, guidance and wisdom and, and um, you know, oh, try this. Here's a little chance to, you know, here's something you missed. Um, but since the pandemic and since everything now tapes from home, um, yeah, we're each other's, you know, director, cameraman, lighting coordinator. Um, so yeah, there's, there's oftentimes where we're quibbling and, and, you know, un- unlike previous years when you would have a set appointment at noon in Santa Monica and go to the casting office or the production office, um, you know, you're doing it from home and we have a, a five-year-old. So oftentimes when we do these, it's, you know, at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, once we finally get the kid to sleep and there's a little bit of quiet in the house and, um, you know, we're both exhausted or we've had a glass of wine at this point. So yeah, we're certainly fighting with each other. <laughs> it's like, come on, you really need this tonight of all nights? You have to do it now? <laughs> yeah, this, this, this came out because I was like helping my friend who's married tape and I was like, oh yeah, why don't you do another one? And she goes, wait, really? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why don't you just try it? And she goes, oh, usually he doesn't let me do more. And I was like, oh, wait, what's going on? (laughs) And so that, like, started the fascination of, like, what's going on with all these couples taping? Yeah, it usually usually is very helpful, except, obviously, when one of us is off out of town working on a gig, uh, and then you're absolutely desperate. I remember once Jen was in Toronto, and I had this kind of big audition I had to, to get in, and um, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't reach out to some actor friends and 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 get it done. So the sixty uh, some odd year old nanny who was taking care of our kid that particular day, I'd say, "Can you stay an extra thirty minutes? I'll still pay your rate. Um, <laughs> but will you just will you just like press this record button and read some of these lines?" And uh, she was great. She was terrific. Wow. I didn't hey. get the, I, I don't think I booked the part though, but she had she had a really good time, and she kept asking me days days later, "Did we get it? Did we book it?" <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. They want you. They don't want me, but they yeah. want you. Who's that woman? <laughs> Imagine you launch your her career. Um, Is your kid interested in what you guys do, or not at all? Oh, sadly, she's very interested. I mean, we've we've dragged this poor kid. She's probably been, I'm not joking, on sixty or seventy plane flights by now, um, and uh, when uh, 
we were my, my wife stars on this new show, which is finally going to hit U.S. Uh, television. So May May eighteenth, uh, the CW will announce that they have bought this Yay! show. That we've been working Moonshine, on. right? This is it's Moonshine. called Moonshine. Okay. Yes, yes. It's it's made specifically for Canada, uh, the CBC and E One and, and and Netflix Canada. Uh, which I'm in no me no, by no means comparing this show to the show I'm about to name drop, but it's done by the same people that did Shit's Creek. Oh. And, uh, um, oh. and that until season three or four did not air in, in the States either. So, you know, we're, we're rolling the dice and hoping for, you know, just like 5% of the success and yes. happiness that, that, that show had. But yes, it's finally going to start airing. And when we shot season one, it was pretty much just as the pandemic was starting. It was just a few months into it. I think it was the first show on the continent to begin filming. Uh, so we were kind of, you know, uh, being looked at as like, well, if they could pull it off, maybe we could get back to show business and do it too. Uh, we were all, uh, sequestered and, and, uh, quarantined for weeks at a time. We'd all have to stay in our little, you know, pocket. Uh, one of the cool things is, uh, uh um, uh, Aaron Dark, uh, is, is, is a regular on the show and her life partner is Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, so, so Daniel was hanging out with us for three summers and, and having just the, the greatest time, but, they were they were very much in need of actors, which is probably why I'm on the show playing Jen's husband. But it got to the point where there was a flashback episode. It's the second to last show of season one. And my wife, Jen's uh, character, is maybe three years old. And there was like five or six scenes where a three-year-old Jen Finnegan is supposed to be, you know, running around and, and saying a couple of lines and, and you know, just uh, being a kid. And I guess Canada being Canada... They hired these these twins, and oftentimes when you have a, a role uh, that young, you'll you'll split it by having you know a, a twins play the part. They showed up to set, and they were not blonde hair and blue eyed like my wife looks. They were very very dark skinned, dark haired, and they're like, "What do we do? What do we do?" And and so they begged us if they could borrow our kid for those three four days. <laughs> we're like, "Absolutely not! This poor kid's going to be screwed up enough as it is. You want to put her in front of the cameras?" Um, but we asked her and of course she said, yes, I want to do what mommy and daddy do. And, um, we were terrified, but she nailed it. So yeah, she already has a pretty big credit to her. To her wow. She has an IMDb page. She probably has an IMDb I saw page it. and a lot of fans. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what's Moonshine about? Moonshine is uh, a wonderful one hour comedy drama about this, uh, this this dilapidated resort and the family that uh, uh, runs it and owns it uh, in uh, the south shore of Nova Scotia. Um, it's uh, it's 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 filthy and funny and twisted and uh, it's it's a delight and uh, the 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 awards the, the the Canadian Screen Awards they're called and the only way to compare them it's it's like the Canadian Golden Globes because they're both for movies and television um, uh, were just announced recently uh, and, and the show got a slew of them, including, including my wife, best, uh, best lead performer. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're hoping, we're hoping it uh, somehow takes off and uh, has a, has a nice happy life. Oh, that's so cool. I can't wait. Well, we'll definitely, yeah. all of our listeners will probably tune yes. in. Moonshine um, CW, I guess this summer. That's exciting. Um, so that's your current, that's your current, some of your current projects. I would like to ask you a question about going back to some of your older okay. stuff. So you, to me, you were like, like I said, you were like this pinnacle of like 80s and 90s classic stuff. Like you're in all these amazing TV shows. And then you the single guy was part of must-see TV, I think sandwiched between like Seinfeld and Friends or something. I mean, like wild. Yes. And then you were on Friends and you're like friends with David Schwimmer, if your Wikipedia <laughs> is to be believed. So like- 
I'm just wondering, like, what was that time like in like the late 80s, early 90s when like TV was like, everyone was watching TV. There was still a monoculture where everyone watched the same TV shows, unlike today. Like, what was like, what was it like? And Caroline in the City? That I mean, all that? Come on. Yeah, no, they, you're right. They oftentimes, uh, you know, would have these crossover nights, which were ridiculous. But uh, you yeah, know, we your, did. We did. Your a, character was on Caroline in the City, right? But the, it's not yeah. a spinoff. Okay, right. So I think me and Matthew Perry were on Caroline in the City. Schwimmer was on our show, um, and uh, I don't remember. I think I think maybe Leah Thompson was on Friends. Uh, and of course, when they asked Jerry and, and, and everyone on Seinfeld to do it, they're like, no, we're, we're not. <laughs> Fuck off. We got our own show. We're, we, uh, what, what do you, what are these shows? Friends? Like, what is that? <laughs> but, uh, in, in terms of, of your question, I mean, I, I guess A, I was naive. Uh, B, I was stupid. I, I just assumed I started in theater. I mean, my, I'm so fucking lucky. My first, my first paying gig was a Broadway show, uh, which I did for like two years. What was it? Uh, and that it was a Neil Simon play called uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs. That's what I thought. Well, that I, I mean, I just saw a production at Northwestern University when I was a kid really? with my family. And it was yeah. like, I mean, it's like cheesy, but it changed my life. Like, I remember that show was like, the best thing ever. And I'm a Russian Jew. My family, like, I don't know. I love that show. And I know you did the film, but yeah, that was cool. You did that on Broadway. It changed my life too. Yeah, um, different uh, ways, uh, but. Uh, uh, and yeah, and, 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 and God bless and rest his soul. Neil Simon um, uh, kept giving me more and more jobs. And I did a few more of his plays and a few more of his movies. And then I came back to LA and I was only doing movies. And then, I, I I just thought, oh, TV, that's, is that something that people do? Is that, I, I mean, maybe when I'm old and lost my hair and, and really fat, maybe that's when I do TV. But I did a, I did a movie for uh, Castle Rock and it was so much fun. Uh, it was a baseball movie and I'm a huge, huge, still, I'm a huge baseball fan. And uh, I played a pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, um, and every day going to work meant putting on a uniform and going to the stadium. And and they had so much money at their disposal, they would bring in actual baseball players to play themselves. Um, so these names might not mean too much, but to, to me, they, they they sure do. And as many baseball fans, they do. But here's Ken Griffey Jr. playing himself, and I I get to pitch to him, and wow. he's now in the Hall of Fame. And every day there would be a new. There would be a new, uh, you know, all star coming to work, and uh, uh, so I, I, I completed this film. We shot it in Minnesota, and uh, my agent said, uh, "Hey, uh, the folks at Castle Rock want to have a, a, a chat with you." And I said, oh, 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 "Am I getting like kicked out of the movie? Are they cutting my scenes? Did I suck?" He went, "No, I think it's good news. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but let's just take the meeting and see what's happening." And so I, I, I go there, and they were watching the footage and the dailies of this 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 baseball movie. And they said, you know, we really, we really want to work with you. And I said, well, great. I want to work with you guys too. What movie are we going to do now? Are you going to put me in a Rob Ryder film? Um, I didn't say that. I was probably quiet. Um, but they said, no, but we basically, in our deal negotiating Seinfeld's next season, we own the time slot or we have access to the 830 slot or the 930 slot for next season. And we want you to be in it. And I went on television <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so so they they put me together with uh, with a lovely writer named Brad Hall, who ironically is 
Julia Louis Dreyfus's husband. Oh yes, um, and uh, and the single guy was born, and uh, boom! Before I knew it, I was starring on a TV show that was number five in the country, and I, I really had no idea what what was happening. Um, but it was a roller coaster. And now, of course, you know, there's really no differentiate, differentiating uh, television and, right. and, and movies and all these giant Oscar winners are, are clamoring to do a show for Apple Plus and HBO and uh, times have changed. Yeah. The golden age of television is upon us. Indeed. So I wanted to ask about Weekend at Bernie's, which is at this point now 25, 24 years old, this movie, or no, 30? No, how many years? I'm like not doing the... Math correctly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like probably, 30 years old. Yeah, 20, so we're 23. So we did, yeah, you're right. It's 30, they're almost 35 years old. Yeah. But it's still like, that's a, it's a like reference. People, it's still a reference. People are still like, oh, yeah. And then they just weekend at Bernie's this guy around or whatever. Like, it's such a big movie. Like, that, it's one of your first things that you do. And then it becomes this like huge movie. Like, what's, are, do you just never want to talk about it? Or are you, do you welcome people that are um, fans of it or what? I mean, what am I going to say? Uh, um, um, uh, uh, yes, it was one of my first movies. I was lucky to get the job. Um, uh, I had no idea. None of us had an idea if it would even be funny. I mean, the premise is this guy is killed and we've got to prop him up and pretend he's not dead. Um, that's not funny. Uh, but somehow, <laughs> somehow it worked. And I remember the movie came out and it did okay. But not great. It just did okay, uh, and and it just kind of had it, it had some legs. It lasted through the summer, um, but then it was this life on cable and on airplanes. That's and, where I saw uh, it. Like it was an HBO classic for me. Like I can quote lines every from day. it, and it came out when I was nine. So like I yeah. remember like just seeing it on HBO all the time. Oh, again, thrilled. Uh, <laughs> it had a life. Thrilled. People are still watching it and remembering it. Well, so. so- I was a, I was an immigrant. I was like a Russian Jew who came in the night. So I, it like missed me. And so I actually just watched it for the first time during the pandemic and I had a great time. So it was like <laughs> new to me only a few years ago. And it, yeah, it hold, it's like an enjoyable, great time. And now all of a sudden, all these references of like, come, come alive in my brain. Like there's a Simpsons uh, episode. Like there's all these things that now make more sense to me too. And there are all these strange little, you know, memes and graphics anytime <laughs> mostly a world a world leader is ill rumored <laughs> to be. It's like, there you go. And me and yeah. McCarthy are holding this <laughs> man or woman up. Do you still t- are you still in touch with Andrew McCarthy, another SVU alum as well? Uh yeah, absolutely. You know, Andrew is a big time television director these days. Uh, um, um he he I don't know if he's directed any SVUs, but uh uh, he directs every other show that shoots in New York. He directs Blacklist, and he he directs a lot of, or did direct a lot of Orange is the New Black. Um, we were both on as actors, and and Andy also directed a few episodes. Uh, but we were both on last season, the final season of um, uh, Good Girls. Oh yeah, um, uh, uh, which was a gig that I just loved. Um, and we were in a couple of episodes, but. They purposely made sure we didn't have any scenes uh, together because that would have been too weird. Um, but uh, yeah. I, I adore him, and uh, um, I mean, he he really he really made that film successful because he was certainly not known for doing slapstick comedy, and uh, uh, he he just wanted to jump in with both feet, and he did. He was uh, he was great, and constantly coming up with uh, uh, amazing ideas. And I so looked up to him because I I had like maybe three jobs to my credit, and he was this big movie star from you know all these great you know classic classic films. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I learned a lot from him. I really did. 
This was awesome. This Thank has you been so, so much. great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Okay, Jonathan, that was fun. I'm excited to watch that show that he's coming out with with his wife. If he says it's like Schitt's Creek vibes, I really like Schitt's Creek. So I'm going to keep an eye out for that. Hell yeah. Um, And his house was nice. It looks like he's living a good, (laughs) happy life with his cool wife and working and crushing it. Crushed this episode. And he's just so good in it. I mean, he's so funny. I love his riffs. It look like you could tell he put work in the stand-up portions of it. And the attack was like very hard to watch. Like really funny and scary and a pompous jerk all in one episode. It was amazing. Yeah. And his silk a, robe. Yeah, he did a really great job of being like, I can understand why this guy has a following, but also I want to kill him. Like half the time I wanted to punch him so bad. But- I think that's like definitely, especially when we look at like the one example of the real life crime, the guy who won Star Search or whatever. Oh, clean guy, perfect guy. And then behind this, like on the other side of him, he's this horrible criminal. So yeah, and I think showing I said, the two sides. Said this in the episode. There are people who are just goody two shoes. There are comics who that is their natural um, way to be is um, a little more prude or like, just sweet. Like, that is who they are in nature. That is great. Be a clean comedian. Yeah, yeah. It's the ones that are hiding their truth for the clean comedy that that are the ones to look out for. Though yeah. They're seething. They're not being who they are. They're putting on an act for what? For what? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding behind your no swears? It's like, because you're a rapist. And it's been proven time and time again. There is like a seething rage with clean comedians who are not clean in their regular life. Yes. It's like a moral high ground thing. They might not all be rapists, but they don't like women or they have like, you know, fucked up views and anger and rage for sure. Yeah, I don't know. To me, stand-up is... That's what I mean. If it's like your authentic self, that makes sense. Like the whole point of stand-up to me is like being yourself. And so if you're putting on an act, you know, and that's why I don't relate to certain weird things or clowns or whatever. It's not real. But I also like silly stuff because I love Rory Scovel, but it is grounded in reality. And he is being himself. I just like people that are authentic. Yeah. And I could tell when it's not real. And we know tons of people that are are wildly famous comics who are talking about material that is not true to their life. They are using a voice that's not really how they talk in real life. Like, you know, we know plenty of people who do that. (laughs) So like, that's why I think people like your stand-up so much. It really is you. Like, that is you on stage, you know? Like, and I would say I'm pretty much the same as I am in real life as I am on stage too. But like, you're not like, oh, I can't say that. It's like, if you want to say it, the point is to say it. Yeah. But like, did we talk? We probably talked about him in the episode, but like Ryan Hamilton, a wonderful, clean comic. And when I meet, see him, I'm like, you are just like a lovely person from Utah who doesn't want to swear and doesn't want to talk about like, you know, sex and drugs and whatever. Like, and great, you know, I don't think he's, I mean, famous last words. We're going to find out Ryan Hamilton no, robs convenience he's, stores. Uh, he's number <laughs> one because, you know, I like to make lists with friends. And the hardest list that we would try to make is, the one that was top 10 comedians, you would be shocked if they were rapists. Yeah. <laughs> and after Ryan Hamilton, 
we were stumped. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) We were stumped. Because some I would be like, oh, gosh, geez. But I wouldn't be surprised. I'm never, you know, Josh Gondelman (laughs) maybe was number two. Yeah, yeah, Josh. But, (laughs) But that's it like I you know everyone else it might be like a like a shocking for a moment but then it'd be like oh okay yeah I, could see I hope Jared makes the list can you see it <laughs> <laughs> he what we didn't we were not thinking about him when we made this was New York years ago of course I'm I'm kidding um but uh <laughs> The I mean, postmortem for this episode. You're going to tell hard. him. <laughs> you I'm going to be like, the list. Lisa made, Lisa said, you don't make the list. You better work on your fucking attitude. Speaking um, of, I guess Rolling Stone, I didn't even know everyone was talking about it. Last night I was out and I was like, what are you guys even talking about? But there's a new Dalia expose in Rolling Stone. A new, new FBI, new victims, new drugging, like fucked up shit. What? It didn't even show up anywhere one day ago, Rolling Stone. Wow. Okay, I'm going to read this. Yeah, so we'll talk about it next week, I guess. Yeah. I got, it, did, it did coincide amazing for us taping this, the comedian uh, rapist. And, <laughs> but is know. that, <laughs> isn't there one coming out almost every day now? Um, well, this is what's funny. So now I was in the green room and all these, everyone was like, oh God, did you read this one? I go, I turned against him at the first one. I never even liked him because I could tell I I had weird interactions with him in terms of he's a predator. <laughs> like, yeah, he truly is, and it's so funny that they needed this additional Rolling Stone FBI article. There's already this is the third. The L.A. Times did one. I mean, this is yeah, not- but like. It's like for all these dudes, it's like, is LA, is Rolling Stone cool enough for you? Is that a cool enough publication to take down your guy? Like, you know, LA Times is liberal bullshit. Like, is is Rolling Stone good enough? Like, I mean, how many exposés do you fucking need? But I mean, the postmortem for this episode's a little bit baked into the entire thing because we've been talking about our personal experiences and our thoughts the entire time. So I don't know if we really need to rehash it, but essentially, yeah, watch out for those, watch out for the clean ones. Watch out for the nice guys. Um, yeah. But also, also, it's like a good test. If you're going on dates, like ask someone who their favorite comedians are and then judge them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because if, if you went on a date and someone took you to this rape comic, yeah. to Josh Galloway's show, you'd be like, oh, <laughs> never mind. I'm out of here. Well, because yeah. people tell me, um, a few people have told me that they show dates my Netflix half hour. And if the men get upset, they don't get fucked. Oh. If they don't the like my set. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. That's so great. Everybody, this is how you <laughs> test your men. You show them the degenerates, Lisa Traeger's episode. They don't get anything if they think that. Well, yeah, because my last like 10 minutes is just this whole joke about, you know, coming and men have lost their minds, honestly. They have attacked me after show. Professionals. One of the, like, biggest, I think, one of uh, the biggest producers in, like, television comedy truly accosted me at at Just for Last Festival being like, I make my wife, she wants to use, you know, I'm like, why are you telling me about your wife and how Uh you guys fuck? It's not even the point of my joke. And then when I started talking back at him, he was like, don't you dare talk about my wife. We've been together 14 years. And I was just like, you came up to me, bro. Trying to fight about my joke. Are you fighting with everyone else's joke? Why did you take it so personal? 
I'm sorry. Like, I don't know why you needed to tell me that your wife loves using a vibrator. Like, it's truly insane. I'm trying to meet Caitlin Olson right now. That's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) All right. There's heroes abound. I'm trying to drink free liquor and meet them. Like, why are you fighting me? I don't need your insecurities right now. Oh my God. Men are wild. Yeah. I'll write his name down too. But this was obviously a fun episode for us to do so we could talk about all our frustrations with um, shitty comics and also, but also we love comedy. But let's um, let's get to our What Would Sister Peg Do? That's our weekly segment where we direct you guys towards an organization or a, you know, a resource on the internet or a book or a podcast or something that will uh, flesh out a little bit more about what we talked about in today's episode. And, you know, we touched on the comedy community today and we said, you know, not everybody's good, but we do want to point out an organization that is very good called Comedy Gives Back. This is an organization that provides financial crisis relief, mental health, and chemical dependency treatment sponsorship and continued community support to the comedy community. Um, So if you want to donate or find out more, go to comedygivesback.com. And uh, yeah, that's just like an organization that um, supports the comedy community that we believe in. So uh, give it a look-see. Yeah, personally saved my ass during the pandemic. So love them, love everything they do. This is kind of like Joe's Stone Crab. You know that, like, you could buy a little crab glitter, like, sparkle pin, and it goes to a fund. So if any server ever needs anything, there's a fund. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, it would be better if our country helped people. Yeah. (laughs) But um, Comedy Gives Back is important and we don't want to lose great people. We could lose a couple shitty ones. Okay. Um, (laughs) Next week, we're going to do the episode Dis. Season 20, episode 22. And uh, Kara and I will come with our own personal diss tracks at each other. So stay tuned. (laughs) Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.